Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Thursday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this fine program. Today I've got T.P. Hammock and Brooks Childress with me for the full three hours as we continue to get you set for Auburn and Mississippi State coming up this weekend. We will continue to preview the Tigers matchup against the Bulldogs and continue to update the status of some of Mississippi State's players uh, as well as Auburn's players returning from injuries such as Demari Austin. So we will continue to preview that matchup. It's a Thursday, so that means we'll have a lot of NFL conversation today as another week gets set of slate or week slate set of games. Easy for me to say. Uh, for week eight in the National Football League. So we'll get ready to preview all of those games uh, as another week of football is ahead. And, of course, uh, we will get to all those storylines and matchups a little bit later, too. We'll also reveal this week's Sports Call Player of the Week. That will be coming up sometime in the 4 o'clock hour. And, of course, we want to hear from you on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free one triple eight nine Tiger Nine again. Ryan TP and Brooks with you here on this Thursday afternoon. Start with UTP. How are you, sir? I'm doing great on this Thursday afternoon. It's a pretty day, you know. It's a good weather, uh, you know. So I've I've enjoyed it. Getting ready to watch some uh, good football tonight. Watch some uh, NBA last night. Pretty please. Pistons lost. Shocker. Lost to the Heat though, but it was by yeah, a close. Point. Yeah. It was by a point. So I was. I was pleased with that, you know. I didn't expect to beat them, but uh, one point loss, I'll consider that improvement. So I was happy with my Detroit Pistons, but uh, yeah, I'm excited for today's show. Excited to talk to all of our callers and uh, looking forward to uh, hearing from them and what they have to say. You know, Cunningham played well. I was league passing it up last night after I had dinner out, got home and league passed the end of the Cavs Nets game and the Pistons Heat game and then watched the entirety of the. Spurs Mavericks game. I'm safe to say very excited. The NBA is back, and uh, there was some close action last night. Brooks Childress also with us on the show. Brooks, how are you? I am doing fantastic. Had a great time last night at the the high school coaches show with TP. We had some great uh, conversations last night as we continue to head toward the high school football playoffs here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, last regular season uh, week for the AISA as well. So we're into playoff time for high school football here around the state of Alabama. It's really exciting. Um, and then, you know, the rest of my evening, uh, I watched a little bit of that UTEP and Sam Houston State football game. Uh, thrilling finish for, for that one. Watched a little basketball last night. So I'm, uh, I'm getting, into, uh, getting into the swing of uh, watching some, some, uh, some hoops here as uh, we head toward college basketball season in the next month, a uh, couple weeks, really. 
Uh, and so it's it was a great uh, I, I thought it was a great sports night for me. Uh, but other than that, it's uh, it's been a fun day around the office. Uh, it's it's kind of been a lonely day. There's not as many people working today, uh, but we've uh, we've made it work here, and it's. Uh, it's great to be talking for three hours about uh, the, the uh, sports that we love to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so we'll get going with the Auburn and Mississippi State game again, just uh, about 48 hours away uh, from kickoff inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium uh, as Auburn gets set for another home game before they have a couple on the road. Tigers and Bulldogs important, obviously, for Auburn's trajectory this season and trying to make a bowl game, I think, uh, we're all confident that if Auburn can get this one, they're going to end up in a bowl game. However, if they end up losing this one, uh, then you still feel pretty good about Vandy, and you certainly feel good about New Mexico State, but then you've really got to beat Arkansas on the road unless you're going to pull off a massive upset of Alabama. So uh, it is very important to get on the right track this week. We still don't know the full status of Will Rogers for Mississippi State. That is going to have – a great deal of impact for what Mississippi State is trying to do uh, and what they are capable of doing against Auburn uh, because Rodgers has played quite well against Auburn. He did so last year. That was, I believe, Cadillac Williams' first game as interim coach. And uh, Auburn was hanging around in Starkville, but Mississippi State was still too much. And then, of course, the year before in 2021, one of the uh, more painful blown leads that you're going to see uh, a 28 to three lead that was blown at home, and Rodgers had a huge second half and coming back in that one. So obviously for State, paramount that he plays. Mike Wright not as much of a passer as Rodgers; he is more of a runner. And of course, just seven points last weekend for Mississippi State, and I know that they did win, and that's what matters. But if Mike Wright plays again, uh, uh, certainly a better opportunity, and you would think that it would be an even lower scoring game than what we're already anticipating if Wright ends up playing. Yeah, you know, you, you look at this Mississippi State team, they've got weaknesses. You know, it, it's no joke. The defense really isn't one of those big weaknesses. Uh, they, they've been victimized a couple times this year, but they've been victimized by really good offenses. Uh, and so when when you look at this team coming in, it's really I think it's really going to depend on, like you said, Ryan, if, if Will Rogers plays because you saw what the offense looked like last week against a, a mediocre at best Arkansas team uh, with Mike Wright playing, and uh, it, it wasn't good. It, one touchdown on the board uh, for the, the entire game uh, for between either of the sides. And so it's uh, it, I think it's, you know, you, you if you're Auburn, you're monitoring that. You're trying to get as much intel as possible. You're uh, I'm sure you're surfing. Uh, you've got people surfing the message boards for Mississippi State, trying to figure out if there's anything leaking out over there. But uh, it, it's it, uh, this game is going to be very, very important. We talked about it all week. How you you look at this Mississippi State game as one of those uh, pivotal games uh, to to get Auburn into a bowl uh, this year. Uh, and I, I think that's the plan, or that's the that's the expectation here. You're, you know, I, I don't think you know there were some people out there that had a, a you know higher aspirations for this year, but when you look at you know the majority of folks, it was seven and five or six and six for this first year of Hugh Freeze. And if you know the part of getting to there is getting uh, this Mississippi State game, I think a lot of people circled this game as one of those games that Auburn's got a real shot at winning this year. Um, and so it's this coming Saturday is going to be imperative 
Uh, I, I we you know we talked uh, we've talked this week. Hugh Freeze has been asked this week about fixes to the offense this late in the year. Um, you know you still have what four or five games left on your slate here, but it there you, I don't know how much is going to get fixed. So for this team, you have to take advantage of these next few opponents, uh, especially the next four: Mississippi State, Vanderbilt. Uh, Arkansas and New Mexico State are all teams that Auburn's got a real shot to uh, to go in, and especially with how the defense has been playing, uh, get a win here, get a couple wins here, and uh, still try to get yourself into a bowl game. So I got the uh, I got the pleasure of writing a Plainsman article today, actually this morning about uh, players to watch, keys to victory for Auburn versus Mississippi State, and um, yeah, that I had the uh, I had to look at the. Uh, I had to look at the film between Mississippi State and Arkansas, and it was uh, not pretty, to say the least. It was not pretty at all. Uh, Mike Wright led them in passing with 86 yards, and Mike Wright also led them in rushing with 60 yards. So, And uh, they got a good Real running dual back. threat. Huh? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't believe they won that game. But uh, they got a good uh, they got a good Mike linebacker and uh, Jet Johnson. He's... Uh, He's their best defense player. He makes all the tackles. He's kind of like a, he's he's similar to Eugene Asante for them. He just you know makes plays. He's a good ball player, and uh, they got uh, their their running back. His last name is Marks. He's really good. He has 500 yards on the year, four touchdowns. But you know, I think they'll. Uh, I don't know. I think it's going to be a really ugly football game. Honestly, I think I think that's what everyone's thinking. You know, uh, might as well um, bring it to light. I don't think this will be a beautiful football game, but uh, maybe Auburn can figure something out because uh, while we've been talking about how much Auburn's offense has struggled without Will Will Rogers, you could argue this is a worse offense than Auburn's. And you know, we haven't said that much this year, uh, especially with SEC competition, but. Uh, We'll see. I think it'll be a real defensive slugfest, though, uh, come Saturday afternoon. Yeah, the line on it is six and a half in favoring Auburn with an over-under of 41. So if you're doing the math at home, that's approximately a 24 to 17 uh, type of game, which, which honestly, you could go lower. I think you could make an argument for either side of it, and, and that's why, well, the over-under is where it is. But, you know, with – if Wright is going to play and not Rodgers, then yeah, I mean, what the the one game they put on tape there without Rodgers was significantly different. Even with Rodgers, I mean, we had talked earlier in the year that changing their style a little bit has not really been conducive to success. So we were kind of lumping them in with Arkansas a little bit in terms of having quality quarterbacks running a certain system, changing that system, and then them than them not being quite as productive. And certainly that has really gone that direction with K.J. Jefferson at Arkansas and, and to the point that they fired their offensive coordinator, Dan Enos. But with with Mississippi State, I mean, again, the, the seven points was not a Will Rogers-produced offense, but uh, they have not had uh, big outputs by any means. You take Western Michigan away, they did have a solid game against South Carolina on the road, who has a bad defense, but you're looking at 17 against Alabama, 30 against South Carolina, only 14 against LSU. So, again, we've talked about the travails that Auburn had against LSU's defense. Well, Mississippi State was in the the same boat there, despite uh, LSU's defense not being something to write home about. And then they scored 31 on Arizona in overtime, so 24 in regulation. So, again, you can see they're not putting up big numbers either. And then offensively, the statistics are pretty similar in yards per game and that sort of thing. So, uh, 
this should definitely be a lower scoring game. Uh, you're hoping that you get the same environment that you've gotten the last couple home games, which I get it'll be a little bit tougher because Mississippi State does not bring as much passion out of people than a number one Georgia team or even a top 15 Ole Miss team. But still, uh, the home field advantage is still expected to be present in some capacity. And I think with you know Jaquavius Marks, you mentioned him, uh, TP, he has been a little banged up. He is their leading rusher, but he's he. I think he's going to play. I do not think he's necessarily going to last the whole game in terms of being able to get 25 to 30 touches. Uh, I think that he will be on some sort of pitch count, and just that knee has continued to be banged up throughout the last three or four games they played. So, again, they're really up against it, and it's setting the stage for – uh, Auburn's defense to be able to keep Mississippi State below. I know Cam talked about yesterday below a, a kind of like a magical point total. Of like it just doesn't feel like Auburn can score more than about 24 uh, low or mid-20s against Power 5 competition. It sets up for Auburn being absolutely able to keep Mississippi State not only below that low to mid-20s, but even maybe significantly below. I mean, you've got to figure uh, if Arkansas has the ability to keep Mississippi State down to seven, Auburn would have the ability to keep them around there too. Now, again, weird things happen, and if Auburn's offense is going to hand points to Mississippi State, then you could say, oh, they ended up giving 21. Yeah, but they had two short fields or they had to go combine 60 yards or something like that. So there, there, there can be situations, obviously, where score can be a little misleading how the, the units individually played. But there is going to absolutely be a chance that Auburn can hold Mississippi State down to around 7 to 10 points. If they do that, then surely to God, even though this offense has been anemic and Mississippi State did hold Arkansas to 3, I just don't think on Auburn's home field it's going to look that horrible. Uh, Mississippi State uh, does have a decent run defense, and again, that's the better side of it for them because – Obviously, if you're playing Auburn, you want to be able to stop Auburn's run and make them pass, and so that will be uh, maybe a slight feather in the cap of Mississippi State. But still, I don't think it's a dominating run defense enough to say, oh, Auburn's just not going to have any chance of running on them. I mean, I know, uh, again, you talked about Jet Johnson, who is their leading tackler, but you know, State, uh, for example, uh, giving up about 128 rush yards a game. Auburn gives up about 157, so – it's not a world of difference there. Uh, so I, I still think there's an opportunity for the Tigers, but uh, we'll see. And, uh, again, we'll continue to talk about some of the individual matchups here a little bit later in the show, some individual skill position players that need to get going for Auburn in ways they can attack defensively if it is Mike Wright and what uh, the kind of different style of defense you might want to play against Wright rather than Will Rogers. But for now, we'll go ahead and take our first break of the show. And when we, when we come back, we'll go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line for the first time today. If you want to give us a call today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Sports call returns after this timeout. For another way to listen to our show, be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. 
I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, TP Hammock with you here right now. Brooks Childress has to step out for some business for just a second. He'll be back in just a few moments. For now, let's go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. First up on the show this afternoon, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Hey, I'm doing well. Uh... Pretty good for a Thursday. Uh, I'm just getting ready. Uh, I'm doing my preemptive uh, alcohol uh, use. Uh, just to get ready for <laughs> the uh, upcoming. Uh, I guess uh, I, I call it a game-defining or season-defining game here, right, guys? I think to some degree, yes. I, I really do think that. I think that this is the first game where Auburn really needs to win to achieve its its base goal for this year. If they lose this. Uh, then it's going to be really hard to make a bowl game, and, and then the season is a pretty lost season. So I understand the frustra- frustration, certainly, with the games already lost, but those can all be explained. Uh, but but this is the one where the season needs to start to turn around. Yeah, I'd go probably even further than, than yours. Uh, I'm saying this is a must-win game uh, for, for the yeah. season. Yeah, no, be, I mean, I'm, I'm, all I'm fine with saying that. I mean, I think that they still could – Backdoor win Vandy and Arkansas if they lose, but again, that, that this is on your home field against a team that's not really any better than them, so that they need to win this. Well, uh, and TP, good to have you on the uh, line as well. Um, I, I'm hoping, and, and maybe I can just do a generic email uh, to athletic department, but uh, I would hope that uh, you know, the coaching staff, especially on the offensive side, uh, and the defensive side too, though, uh, would honor the 15 year anniversary of the 3-2 uh, debacle win uh, by, by our team uh, by exactly matching that same output. 3-2. to two. I, I think it's doable. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, this will definitely be on the lower side of things and coming off a Mississippi State game where uh, I they... I chuckles from you, Ryan. Well, uh, yeah, I mean... I, I, I chuckled, Steve. Yeah, I mean, look, I... I do not think it'll be three and two, no. But I do think it'll be very low scoring. I, I would be tempted to take the under. I know, again, the over under is forty one uh, in this game, and and uh, that would again be, be about twenty four to seventeen type of game. And I could see it being lower than that. But no, I will never predict a three to two game. That's that's imp- impossible to, to well, predict. You know, Ryan, as I said yesterday, neither did I. That's why I took all right. that time minus one and a half. Right. Yep. And I was doing good with thirty seconds left in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I still didn't quite get. What was he afraid of? You know. The uh, anyway, enough of that. Okay. Well, if we can't honor the three or two game, how about the thirtieth anniversary of the infamous helium allegation football uh, controversy by Jackie Sherrill accusation? You remember that one, right? 
Um, I, I can't say that I do. Okay. Uh, you're probably still in diapers. What? I don't know. I was not uh, born yet. Yeah. Oh, you were not? Okay. No, I'm 27 uh, years old, so, yeah. So you weren't even so long. Okay. Well, in 1993, Jackie Sherrill, infamous Jackie Sherrill, who had, uh, there was no fun, uh, no love loss between him and uh, uh, Terry Bowden. Anyway, he accused that the game of Auburn's uh, football team, or especially the, the punter, uh, using helium in the football <laughs> for, uh, for, for unknown reasons. Uh, that that gave them somehow an advantage uh, in their punting and kicking. Well, we won anyway, 31 to 17. So guess what happened? And independent uh, researchers and testers demonstrated that science doesn't lie. Footballs actually filled with helium don't travel any further. In fact, they travel less further than those filled with air. Interesting. Okay. 30 years ago, 1993. Okay. Yeah, happy People. anniversary to that then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, speaking of alleged uh, cheating, but this is not alleged cheating, have you seen the new SEC short skit on Michigan's uh, uh, cheating uh, scandal? Uh, no, I, I can't say that I have, but I know they always do a good job with stuff like that. Well, please, please, if you want to laugh and laugh uh, and not be drunk while doing it, huh. uh, it is hilarious. And what they're doing, they take, uh, anyway, the, the, the characters in there are just, uh, they, 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 they win Academy Awards for what they do. But they anyway they they uh, they rip apart uh, the the uh, the allegations of the uh, videotaping and all that of uh, the other cheating. So so anyway, uh, you, you get a kick out of it. All right, now the first forecasters all we're going to cover uh, sports side. Uh, the highest scores that they pick, one person picked thirty. Uh, I'd say that'd be stretching it. Do you think we could actually get thirty points? Yeah, I would. I, that would not be my my prediction. I do. I think it's possible. I think they can get very close. I think they can get to twenty eight. Uh, I but again, that that was not the most probable outcome. I, I just don't see this team until I start to see some gradual improvement. I don't see this team getting to to thirty points in a in a power five game, even even on their home field, because we did see. Uh, last week, you know, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. I think they're in the same realm of defense. I mean, you might take states and when just just barely, but they're in the same realm of defense. And Auburn obviously only got the twenty-one there in the last second. So uh, I still think they're playing somewhere in the low to mid twenties is being is being capped out at. Now, the only way that I see that be a likelihood is if our defense scores right. maybe one or two touchdowns. Yeah, you'd have to have some abnormal circumstances, and, and that's where I would say, you know, it's not impossible, but, yeah, are they going to have five 60- to 70-yard scoring drives? No, I, I I do not see that. It would have to be maybe three of those plus a short field plus, you know, a, a turnover at the own 20 uh, of Mississippi State or something like that. Now, I keep reading, guys, that there's going to be an expectation by Philip Marshall and they call of a more up-tempo offense. Do you expect to see a dramatic change uh, in this game in terms of how the offense is run or not? Dramatic, no, because I just don't think that they feel confident to do anything dramatically different, but I do think that they will attempt some some uh, no-huddle, some up-tempo stuff. Yes, I, I, I do. When you listen to what the beat writers are talking about, you listen to Hugh Freeze kind of hint at it a little bit more on the Monday presser is something to evaluate. It almost felt like in recent weeks when they were talking about uh, lead up to Ole Miss and LSU, it almost felt like on those Monday pressers he was explaining why they would not 
uh, do up tempo and why. Yeah, some other teams did it, but we just don't feel that we can do that. And I didn't think that was the tone that Freeze had this week. So I think that they will be interested in doing it. However, again, I want to want to state that first down is really important when you're talking about up tempo. And if they're going to lose yards or not gain yards on first down, then it gets harder to justify going up tempo because the up tempo stuff will lead to your defense getting tired if you go three and out. And we talked about yesterday, I think there were seven possessions in the Ole Miss game that Auburn had three plays or less. A couple of those were turnovers, several of those were three and outs. And so if you're having three play drives that are not scoring drives, obviously, then you are going to make your defense pay for it. And I think that they are a little less scared of it because they just think that Mississippi State's offense is not very good and that as long as Auburn's defense is not dog-tired, it should be okay. Uh, And and they're obviously looking for any spark they can have offensively. But again, there is always going to be a little bit of give and take when you're trying to go up tempo. So again, I think that they want to, but they still need to meet certain parameters to be able to activate it. Yeah, well, I'm hoping they see a little bit more passing attempts than what we saw against Ole Miss, like, you know, five passing attempts in the first half, I think. So do you want to see Peyton Thorne then? Uh, whoever. I, you know, uh, I'll take my chance with Robbie Ashford. I mean, he actually completed some, some passes uh, in the end zone. Um, you know, at least he doesn't look intimidated. Uh, and he doesn't hesitate. He just goes ahead and, and, and makes a call. He goes one way or the other. You know, Peyton Thorne seems to just – Hesitate too damn long, and then by then it's over with. I do sense some of the the hesitation and some of the processing things slow. I do, but I still think that Thorne's got a little bit more of a passing acumen to him. Again, it's not night and day. I'm not saying it is, and 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 Ashford certainly uh, is a better runner. We've talked about that, uh, but I would say that if you're looking to throw more, and and you're looking to go up tempo, well, fourth quarter. They did throw more, and they did go up tempo because the game necessitated it. And yes, you could say almost playing a little soft, but they did have two straight drives where they moved the ball. Obviously, Thorne did throw an interception on the first one, but then they scored the touchdown on the second one. So if you're grasping for any straws, and again, I, I completely understand the bit about Ole Miss trying to play a little more conservative. Well, Auburn beggars can't be choosers, and scoring a touchdown, scoring a touchdown. So. Uh, that still, to me, there's still been enough to show that Thorne is is got a better arm. But yes, obviously he's got to process things better, and, and then you start to go into all the other litany of problems that are, revolve around the passing attack that that don't have anything to do with Thorne. But I, I think that if you're wanting more of a passing attack, I I think Thorne's probably still the better option there. Uh, but but again, I I would just personally like to see one guy. Period. No matter what style they they play i want to see one guy play a full half if not the full game and 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 roll with it exactly and i I like to get your take on this too guys ron and tp yeah you're the coach or the offensive coordinator when you get in the red zone this is when the crap happens do you then change from thorn to robbie ashford or do you let thorn go ahead and have at it I would continue to let Thorne have at it, and that is a different answer than what I would have given you three or four weeks ago. But I think that it is it is not allowing Peyton to actually get true rhythm when he's pulled before the conclusion of a finally successful drive. Like all Peyton Thorne 
usually has the work off of are these three and out drives and then drives where they move it 30 or 40 yards and then go to Asher to like the 25 yard line. Right. When he gets to the red zone, then he goes, he gets pulled. Right. And, and look, I do think that the Asher package in the red zone, not necessarily at midfield because we've seen plenty of hiccups there between the 20s, but I think in the red zone, look, it has worked pretty well. So I'm not saying that that package is a dud. I, I don't think it's a dud in scoring situations. However, Again, I just want, for continuity sakes, I want to give them a role for an entire half or even an entire game where they say, no, we're not making either guy. We're going to have a true QB1 and QB2. We understand the skill sets are different. We understand both have struggled. We understand that's not going to unlock four straight scoring drives. But let's see if Peyton Thorne, if they go Thorne, let's see if Peyton Thorne can garner some confidence by going out there four or five straight drives uninterrupted. And then even if it's Astrid, again, I'm fine with Astrid. That's actually still... Probably my preference is Ashford. But if they go Ashford, same thing. If it's third and seven, I get it. That's that's a throwing down. Let him stay in there. Let's see if he can do it. Let's see if he scrambles for a first down. Like Just let the same guy play four to five straight drives in the hopes that some rhythm will be gained. Because clearly, the, when they have gone to the two-quarterback stuff, there was no rhythm gained. And, uh, and again, I know they're grasping at all kinds of straws, but I think everyone would pretty much be in the boat of, let's just see one guy for a while, and then if that's not working – Try something else. I know TP's got some thoughts too. Yeah, I, I love this uh, question, Stephen. I agree with Ryan for the most part. Is we should just keep Thorn in there and keep some continuity, get him some rhythm. But I also think it comes down to a defensive standpoint because it, it doesn't even have to be Mississippi State, but I'm just going to use them as an example since uh, the opponent. Zach Arnett is a pretty good defensive coordinator. Head coach, jury's still out, but he's a fine defensive coordinator. So if we see Robbie Ashford come out there in the red zone, if I'm a defense coordinator, I'm running cover zero. I'm saying their wide receivers are not that good. Robbie's not that great of a thrower. He's a fantastic runner, but I'm going to run cover zero. I'm going to blitz the ever-loving crap out of them, and I will make sure that they're not going to beat us through the run. They can be If Robbie throws a touchdown pass on my defense, so be it. But if he tries to do that again, we're going to make sure that we pick off the ball. So I think it comes down to a defensive standpoint where Thorne, albeit hasn't looked great this year, I think we could get him some uh, reps and get that one, like Ryan said, we haven't been able to see him get a full drive. It just feels very kind of sudden, kind of like just like a yank him out, you know, yank him by, the, you know, by their collar, you know know yank him out here's Robbie Ashford and it just feels like the drive stall out I I don't know how good Peyton Thorne will do in the red zone but I'd like to see him try you know it can't be any worse than what I've been seeing on Saturday evening so I think I would just keep him out there just see what happens Peyton Thorne can run he's not slow he's not a statue he's not you know like a water bottle in the pocket he can move so I think it'd be pretty interesting to see just what happens if he doesn't do good fine next drive throw Robbie out there but I'd just be fine with just keeping Thorne out there for the most part and just letting them do work and uh, if it's going terribly wrong and you're down by 40 points to Mississippi State then there's something terrible going on but uh, overall though I'd lean towards just keeping Thorne in okay I appreciate your thoughts and comments so tell me this guys because I've been wondering about this now uh, in the seventh, uh, seventh game season what explains that the coaching staff has almost routinely, when we get uh, within the, the red zone, pulled Thorne out and put Bobby Ashford. Does that mean that they have little to no confidence that Thorne can 
win the game or score uh, with him in the red zone? Is that is that that means? And only they think only Robbie Ashford gives him the best chance. I, I think it means that they're they've really wanted to emphasize the run. Uh, once they get down in that area, and that they but why? they don't feel well, they don't feel like because obviously Ashford is more limited. They they trust the execution part of it a little bit more in a in a tighter area than trying to go out and and make sixty yards in that. In other words, they don't feel like they could do that the same five to seven to eight plays. For sixty straight yards, time and time again, but or seventy and straight the reason, yards. Excuse me, I mean something must be going in practice that tells them no, we can't have Thor. We can't, we can't have him in the, in the red in uh, in the red zone. Yeah, I I mean maybe I, maybe because again, there's a lot of negative with these guys, but also I think that that is the area on the field they feel they can use Ashford's run ability the best because what you know that the. Look, pass games get more bogged down the closer you get to the end zone, right? And so that's why that was the knock when spread offenses came alive as well. A big passing team has trouble in the red zone because they only know how to pass. They don't know how to line up and and run it in. And and there's tighter windows to throw to when you're inside the 15, 10-yard line. And so the thought is that if you're going to start to run more inside the 20 anyway, that's when you put in your running quarterback because – You've got to account for that, and you're going to trust that he's going to have the ability to make a play with his feet rather than somebody trying to throw into a tight window when there's already some doubt in the passing game. And again, it's not been perfect, so it's not like, oh yeah, no, I see why it's you know this is a this is foolproof. But I do think that there has been some moments where it has worked, and in the Power Five competition, and mainly the Georgia game is where it felt. Like it worked worked well considering the opponent, but they also they don't get there enough too. Uh, I mean, they just flat out they only get to the red zone a couple of times a game, honestly. So we don't even have uh, a, a lot of situations for and against. But uh, yeah, no, I think it's more about a lot of teams try to run inside the 15, 20 yard line anyway. We're going to try to maximize the the ability to do that by having the best running options all over the field. Okay, and that sounds reasonable. And yet, what about the merits of what TP just said? Hey, you know what? I asked you in there. We know exactly how we're going to defend this. Sure, but also, again, you're not really feeling good about in that situation. There's not going to be a lot of defenses that put a lot of people in pass coverage or a lot of people away from the line of scrimmage because everything's condensed. Like your safety sometimes, if you're at midfield, sometimes your safety's be 15 yards away from the line of scrimmage. Well, if you're at the 15-yard line, they're not going to be more than 10 yards away from the line of scrimmage, if not closer than that. Uh, and, and so inherently when you get squeezed up near the end zone, there will be more people closer to the line of scrimmage. There will be more people in the box. So, right, so they'll be able to get to Robbie Ashford a lot quicker. But, but what I'm saying is if you don't have the quarterback run threat, then that's one person you don't have to account for. There's still going to be people in the box. Like it's not, it, That's not really dependent on if Ashford or Thorne's in the game. Uh, again, you're going to have closer situations, period, when, when you're inside the red zone. And if you're wanting to run the ball – when you when you have the quarterback having a really great ability to run the ball, uh, that's that's something that feels like an advantage to you versus well they're not going to really respect the pass even with Thorne in there not not when there's ten or fifteen yards to go they're still going to sell out and make sure Auburn has to pass so you're not going to run successfully with 
with Thorne in there usually uh, versus at least with Ashford. They have done that a couple of times successfully in the red zone. All right. We'll leave that. We've beaten that horse to death. We'll find out if I get a 3-2 score or not. All right, guys, finally, for today, an infamous mishap uh, happened on this day in October 26, 1986, and it involves the World Series. You guys know what is happened, it, right? Is it the George Brett Pine Tar game? No. No, that's not the World Series. That was against the Yankees, wasn't it? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, today is known as National Bill Buckner Day. Okay, it goes through Buckner's legs. Okay. Right. Yep. Yeah. First base on Bill Buckner left an easy ground ball, and I saw it, guys. I said it in the morning, and it went right between his legs, yep. down the right field line, and just a routine failure. No. Disaster hit, right? Yeah. Tenth absolutely. Tenth inning. I stayed up and watched that baby. I said, no, how can you do this, man? And they did it. Uh, it was so bad for him, though, guys. He had to move, he had to move out. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, uh, there's some crazy, crazy fans sometimes. Yeah, he uh, says here from History Channel, he tried to stay in Boston after that happened, but the fans heaped so much abuse on him that he and his family decided to move to Idaho. Wow. Yeah, no, that's far away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, but he died in May 2019 at the age of 69, but uh, they, they never let him forget it. And I guess it was, I, you know, like uh, reminds me of what Tom said, you know, stuff happens, right? It happens. Yeah. Yeah, weird but, things, uh, yep. And uh, his final comment about that was he asked uh, later on, uh, years after that, they asked about you know, how he was blamed for it. He said, well, he says, I can't remember the last time I missed a ball like that. And then he added, but I'll remember this one. Yeah. Yeah, all absolutely. Right. That's all I got, guys. Uh, thank you for your time, as always. And enjoy listening to you uh, later on on the podcast. And uh, I look forward to hearing you guys' uh, predictions for tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll have predictions. Uh, predictions certainly a couple of them today, and then some more tomorrow. Yep. Okay. Oh, I, I lied again. Uh, fine. Do you have to hear uh, or see what Steve Spurrier uh, prediction is for an upset for this weekend? No, I did in not. College, uh, he predicts the Gators. Oh well, that's not surprising. He is. He yeah, did I coach there. Yeah. That. I think it's highly unlikely, but I'd like to see it. But anyway, hi guys. Have a safe afternoon and evening, and uh, tell uh, Mr. Uh, Rick Childers. I said that uh, War Eagle. We will do that. War Eagle, Steve. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. That is Retire Ward AM Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We're going to head to our next timeout. Back with more sports call right after this. Easy it is to listen to our show. All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award winning Sports Call Auburn.
Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Coach Childress, T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. Appreciate hearing from retired Ward M. Steve on the North Peak Clinic phone line. If you want to give us a call today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. All right, let's continue on talking to Auburn because, and, and this is not necessarily game specific to Mississippi State, although that is what's next for the Tigers. But Steve obviously was hitting on a concern that I think most people have, which is what Auburn does at quarterback rotation and what it were to do once it gets to the red zone. Now, again, I reiterate that Auburn's actually got to get to the red zone, uh, which they only do a couple of times a game, honestly. Uh, But that would be the test if Peyton Thorne starts, which – Auburn's been a little less candid about this week, honestly. I think that in other weeks it was clear they were both going to play. And again, based off Monday comments from Hugh Freeze, he said, well, you know, it was basically an allusion to maybe Robbie Ashford can learn more of the offense type of thing. Now, I'm sure he'll be asked about it on Tiger Talk tonight, and that will provide some other, other comments and some other clues. But – I'm still, because it's not been said to the contrary, going to assume that both are going to end up playing, although, again, it's not my preference. But, I mean, again, do you see enough advantage? Let's say it's still Thorn. Do you see enough advantage in the Robbie red zone area to warrant, if, if say, they, they, they keep to it between the 20s and they really do keep Thorn in there, all the situations, until they get to the red zone? Do you find the Ashford package to be worth it, or would you rather keep Thorne in there? I, I, as I mentioned with Steve, I would just keep it at this point. We've seen it. You know, we're seven games in. We've seen that it's not terribly great. Uh, I feel like if you're going to start Ashford, you start him. All right, you're going to put him in for the whole game. You know, go from the 25 to the end zone. I feel like these packages, as the season has gone on, and there's more film and there's more tape, defensive coordinators and teams are able to crack down more on those special packages because they're not as, you know, unknown or you're not facing UMass and Sanford anymore. You're facing real deal teams. So I, I feel like you should just keep Thorne in there. You know, if, if he got you down to the 20 yard line, he should finish off the drive whether that be a pick six whether that be a touchdown he's got to finish off that drive so we know we know as fans or as you know just media members and everyone around the college football world knows if Peyton Thorne can really lead Auburn to you know success and that that's the bottom line if he can't score against Mississippi State you know if you I would do this if I was Hugh Freeze and I would just Put him in there. Just let him start the whole entire game. You know what? No matter how bad it got or how good it got. Because then you could go, okay, now we're, you know, let's just say they lost. I I don't think they will, but let's just say they lost and he had a terrible game. Then you can transition towards just starting Robbie from then on out if that was the final straw. If that was the the straw that broke the camel's back. But I would just love to see Thorne for a whole game and just see how the offense does. Yeah, because even, again, we talked about it at the time. Even in the Cal game, because let's, again, the, the first two games, the group of five games just don't mean anything to me anymore. What, they mean a little bit when that's all you have to go off of. You obviously can't mess around and lose them. But aside from that, that's it. Because they are just a different level of competition. It's not even close. 
And so what we've seen against the P5 stuff, from the very get-go, there was no confidence here. It's not even that we saw Thorne for a full game and didn't like it. The The furthest into a game he got, which to be fair, he was bad in, but the furthest game he got into in the Power Five without a bunch of just irrational, you know, untimely rotation was A&M. He paid, He played the whole first half and one drive of the second half, and he was out. And look, again, I understood that decision because that's 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 more like how a going from one quarterback to the second quarterback goes is you've not produced for a half plus a drive. You've got three points. We're still in the game, though. We we, we got to do something to kickstart it. That's That's fine. But even in Cal's game, which low-scoring game, not a great team. That's a team that may or may not go to a bowl game this year. Even in that one, really early, there was a lot of switching. And it wasn't necessarily just one part of the field. And I, I think that as you go now to a Mississippi State team, who I think is probably a little lesser defense than a and uh, again, AM's not perfect though, but AM certainly has some big time players up front that I'm not sure Mississippi State really has. You know, I would again go back to whoever it is. And again, by the way, I will say I'm still more interested in a full half of Ashford than a half of, of Thorne, but we're talking about Thorne right now. I, I'd let it ride for a full half, if not more. I can't. I don't know if I can promise you the full game because you go out and turn the ball over a couple times and you have three points a half again and maybe you're down ten to three and you just need anything. Then you know the, you reserve the right to change that in the second half. But I would at least give some, give either one of them a half because let's let's give it to you like this. I think that Auburn will do a good job against Mississippi State defensively the whole game. I especially think they'll do a good game, uh, good job against Mississippi State in the first half. So in the first half, if you're not performing well and Mississippi State's not performing well offensively, you're going to get a lot of drives. The logic here is there's going to be a lot of quick drives, a lot of three, four, five play drives that take up no more than two or two and a half minutes the clock. That will give you seven or eight opportunities to possess the football. And either you will start to score on those drives and start to make those real drives that do last some time and do result in yards and do result hopefully in points. Or you'll be kicking it back to them, kicking it back to them. And so my point is either you're going to have seven or eight poor drives to digest to the point where, okay, we've given them the opportunity. We've given Thorne or Asher or whoever the opportunity. That didn't work. Let's try the other guy in the second half. Or you're going to have had less drives because you went and drove and made yards and again hopefully converted those drives or at least scored something on those drives to the point that you say okay we're good to go with a second half of of this quarterback whichever one it may be because again the premise here is that Mississippi State's not going to be able to possess the ball much because again I told you that Auburn had seven drives in the Ole Miss game that resulted in three plays or less Okay, that's a lot of drives to have that in. But what happens in those games is when drives are that short, you obviously have more times to possess the ball. And my logic is if you have more times to possess the ball and you continue to fail doing it, that is a big enough sample size to say, okay, maybe I don't want a second half of this. Because even 
in the Auburn Ole Miss game. Auburn possessed the ball in the first half seven times. Okay, they had a turn. I'm just going through the drive chart again. Turnover on downs around midfield. Then they had the touchdown. Then a three and out punt. Then a four play touchdown. Then a three play punt. Three play fumble. And then an interception in one play at the very end of the half. And there's like 50 seconds left. So again, they possessed the ball against Ole Miss seven times in the first half. So if you give me seven drives with one quarterback, I'm going to feel like I know what's going on in that game. And if that's a fair enough sample size to then either continue on with that same person in its entirety in the second half or to flip the script there. Or, again, like I said, the other flip side of it is, okay, if you go on a five-minute scoring drive, that's going to shorten the amount of drives you have. But if you keep doing that and you only possessed it four times, assuming your defense did a good job, maybe you ended up scoring on two or three of those drives. And then you feel good about that too because you're going to know, okay, we had only four drives, but we scored twice and moved the ball a third time. That's enough to have the quarterback return for the second half. So that's my logic on, on on having someone play for the whole half because you're either going to score with that person in a in a smaller number of drives or because of Mississippi State's offensive deficiencies, especially if Rodgers does not play, I expect Auburn to stop Mississippi State rather quickly. Therefore, Auburn will then get a lot of possessions, and it won't be like, oh, well, they almost scored a couple times, but they really only possessed it three or four times. No, they really should be able to possess it a lot if, if Mississippi State is not being able to move the ball. So I think that, again, I just am solely in the camp. I don't even... Like, I'm not going to be mad if it's not my preference, which is Astro. Just whatever it is, play one guy, play him for at least the whole half, and assess at halftime, and tell. And tell, also part of the game plan, tell the starter. You've got the first half, period. Let it roll. You throw a pick, you know, sucks, get back out there next drive and score. Don't worry about it. Don't look over your shoulder for 30 minutes. Just don't look at it. And uh, I think that that might be able to unlock some confidence. Again, it's not going to change the the offense. not going to go score 40 all of a sudden. But it might just be the one stepping stone you need from going to be incompetent to enough to win against the Mississippi State team that's fighting for bowl eligibility. We are out of time for hour number one. Stay tuned. More Auburn talk in hour number two. Sports Call's Player of the Week and some NFL. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. 
Second hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday afternoon. Uh, I almost forgot okay, I almost <laughs> forgot what day it was. And, uh, yeah, no, uh, certainly a lot of things happening in the studio right now. But uh, hour number one in the books. We are about to move on to some NFL and some other things for the moment. But, uh, but yeah, again, a lot of Auburn-Mississippi State in hour number one. And, again, a very important game as Auburn tries to turn their season around and, and make some hay towards the bowl game. Yeah, it's been a – you know, it's – you know, I heard you all saying this on Monday – uh, you know the season's gone the way that we thought, kind of, but um, and just it just feels like, you know, we didn't think, or the the reasonable Auburn fan did not think that this would be, you know, just an electric start and we'd be seven and zero and you know we'd be towards the top of the polls. You know, we knew that there'd be some bumps along the way. You know, you have Georgia on the schedule. You have a, a we thought would be a pretty good A and M team. I, I thought they'd be about 7-5, and five, I'm just saying for the record. But I knew that their defensive line was good, and they were. If you remember that game, they were very good. But uh, it's been their best defense more than them. But, um, yeah, it's just been it's been a rocky start. But, uh, man, I hope, the, I hope the Tigers can make it back to a bowl game because I, I do enjoy bowl games. I know some people don't. I know there's, like, this anti-bowl game agenda being pushed by some people. You are not getting that from T.P. Hammock. T.P. <laughs> Hammock is very pro-bowl, and especially the Camellia Bowl back in Montgomery. I'm a big fan of the Camellia Bowl, and so are my friends. And uh, we also know another big fan of the Camellia, uh, Camellia Bowl, and that's why we're going to go right now, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one tiger 9 back to the orthopedic clinic phone line. James from Montgomery. James is with us. Uh, James is also a big fan of the Camellia Bowl in Montgomery. James, how are you this afternoon? I am good. I am good. And War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, I've been a fan of the Camellia Bowl for years. Yeah, absolutely, and TP is as well. So maybe, maybe uh, you guys can go both uh, both go this year. Um, I'm actually getting uh, tickets for us this year. Okay, all right, we love to hear it. Yes, as well. Um, but with this game that's coming up this weekend, I'm I'm actually looking at um, you know a really good game with Auburn. Yeah, uh, very important for Auburn to try to, to try to beat Mississippi State and, and again get back to five hundred and that'll put them in a much better situation trying to make a bowl game. Yes, as well because um with Mississippi State, they're not gonna win on the road. Yeah, I hope not. I mean they did win on the road last weekend in Fayetteville when they played Arkansas seven to three. Uh but but still hoping for a little better performance than Arkansas gave out of Auburn. I think Auburn's defense can absolutely be up to up to the task, but obviously Auburn's offense needs to wake up. Yes, uh, I mean they really do need to wake up now because this is the end of our season. Well, I mean they they've got four more games after this one, so I mean it's not really the end. But if they lost it, I mean it would be very detrimental to their bowl hopes. But still got four more games after this. Yeah, so these four games would. Um would really test our abilities. Yeah, I think it would as well. I think even if they do drop it, I mean, 
Historically, Auburn's done well against Mississippi State, but as I was doing my research today, did you know mm-hmm. that in the past 10 years, the series between Mississippi State and Auburn is tied at 5-5? Five to five. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Bulldogs came out on top, but I'm with you, James. I do think that Auburn's going to uh, win this football game, but I don't think it's going to be a pretty football game, but I, I'm interested to see how Auburn does against um, this Bulldog squad. Yes, as well, because... I was looking at like the um, overall record, and at the end of our record, we're going to be six and six. I mean, that is very possible. Uh, Again, I think they'll be at either six or seven wins. I do still think that they will go on a little bit of a run here, but uh, but yeah, no, six and six is possible. Seven and five possible somewhere in there. Yeah, because I'm looking at like a six and six or. Six and five, or six and uh, seven and six. Yeah, that could be the record after the bowl game. Obviously, playing that thirteenth game, but yeah, it'll be something, something with twelve games uh, total once the regular season ends. But it's still an array of possibilities. We'll just see how Auburn handles this next stretch. Yes, as well, because if we get to a bowl game, I'm looking at Auburn actually playing like the like a big bowl game like in Florida somewhere. A big bowl game in Florida. Yeah, I don't think they're going to quite get to that point. Uh, I mean, again, they they would have to run the table at this point, get to 8-4. and four. So I, I think that, you know, they could have a smaller bowl game. Uh, they could have like the uh, the bowl game that's usually in, in – I guess it's now moved to Tampa – um, but mm-hmm. because they've got two bowl games in, in Tampa, and they could go uh, to the the second of those, but I, I think that they really uh, are are not going to end up in one of those those big big games. No, because I'm I'm looking at the one in Tampa, um, the Outback Bowl. Yeah, no, that, re- that that one doesn't exist anymore. I think it's just the Visit Tampa Bay Bowl or something like that. That's the that's the top bowl. The second one is the Gasparilla yeah, right. Bowl. The, the, but the first one was the Outback Bowl, and it uh, it, it does not exist anymore. Uh, in that with that name, it still exists, but it's just not the uh, the, the the Outback Bowl anymore. Yeah, because I remember the Outback Bowl when we played against uh, Missouri. Uh, Auburn's not played Missouri in the Outback Bowl. I know they played Northwestern one year, and uh, but uh, and I think they played Wisconsin one year. You might uh, be thinking of Minnesota. Yeah, and they well, and they played Minnesota most recently. I mean, they played a bunch of Big Ten mm-hmm. teams, but they have played Northwestern. They have played um, Wisconsin in that in that bowl game too. So they've they've been in that a few times. Yeah, I know it was uh, Wisconsin, and it was another team that we played. In Tampa, I think it was Purdue. That one was in Nashville. That one was in the um, the Music City Bowl. Yes. Um, now we're actually looking at another bowl game that might come out. I might look at the one in Mobile. Uh, I, is that the Lending Tree Bowl or something like that? I I, I forget mm-hmm. exactly which one it was. Yeah, no, I don't yeah. think the SEC has a, a, a bowl tie in there, so an SEC team would not be going to that one. Yeah, but I mean, they could like make that one as you know for the SEC as well. Yeah, again, I, I, I that's not exactly how the bowl tie ins work out. I know uh, Auburn obviously could go to the Birmingham Bowl. They have been there before. 
and there is an mm-hmm. SEC potential bowl tie-in there. But it is really about how the bowl tie-ins match up, and uh, they're kind of already previously determined which conferences will be playing in these games. Yes, as well, because with – I mean, like with Georgia going to Atlanta, I mean, that's right there in their backyard. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, certainly – Georgia has a big fan base there in uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, and throughout the whole state of Georgia. So when they do play in the SEC title game, they always have a a big support there. Yeah, because if they're going to do another, like in the near future, if they're going to do um, a bowl game in Atlanta, they should play like Georgia and Georgia Tech. Yeah, well, they, I mean, Georgia and Georgia Tech play in the regular season, and sometimes it is in Atlanta because it's at Georgia Tech's home stadium. That is a, a rivalry that continues to happen. But, uh, mm-hmm. you no, know, in, in a postseason ball, I mean, I suppose that could happen, but Georgia Tech's just nowhere near the caliber of Georgia right now. So it's, it's hard to imagine them match, matching up in the postseason right now. Yeah, because with um, bowl season right around the corner, I'm looking at like some other bowl games that might be interesting yeah uh, i mean again we're we're always a big fan of uh, a bowl season for sure yes because i'm uh looking at like army navy which that bowl game has been played for years yeah the rivalry game at the end of the year and of course uh, army just joined the aac so that could end up being a conference game, although that particular matchup in the first week of December will maintain a, a non-conference ranking. But but yeah, no Army Navy has uh, has been the kind of the end of the regular season. Yes, because um, like in the beginning of December, uh, that that game is really good, and I think that Navy this year will be playing in the Camellia Bowl. Yeah, no, I'm not sure what all their potential bowl tie-ins are. I also don't think Navy's going to end up getting to, to six wins to, to make a bowl game. But I know stuff like the Independence Bowl and the Armed Forces Bowl, the, the, that's more the, the type of stuff they usually go to. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, if Navy gets to six wins, we'll see. But I think they are behind the eight ball there. Yeah, because if they actually make six wins, um, I'll probably see Navy and Rice actually play in Montgomery. Yeah, well, we'll just have to see. Again, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Still about four or five games left for all these teams. Yes, as well. And then with uh, the other games that are going to be played tonight, um, it's really going to be a tough team, you know, for these games. Like Syracuse and um, Virginia Tech that I'm actually going to be looking at. Yeah, Syracuse had a pretty good start to the year. Uh, they've had to play some good teams recently here. Virginia Tech had a rough start to the year. Both Virginia schools did. Uh, and that one's going to be important towards bowl eligibility. I think Virginia Tech's a slight favorite at home. But, yeah, that one's going to be a tough one to call. Yeah, because I have Virginia Tech favor to win. Yeah, and uh, so does Vegas uh, by, by two and a half points. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Yes, as well. And then – with the big race that's coming up this weekend, I already filled out my NASCAR um, bracket already. All right. Who do you have winning? Um, I actually have um, Martin Trix Jr. Okay. He's pretty good at Martinsville, so uh, that's that's very possible. 
Yeah, so I have him actually winning. Um, so I'll just put him in the first um, bracket as well. All right. Yeah, we'll see how that one goes. Well, James, we're almost out of time with you. Do you have any final thoughts today? Um, well, I actually do have a final thought as well. Okay. Because with uh, Halloween right around with Halloween right around the corner. Yep. I have a Halloween joke. All right. Uh, let's uh, let's hear it then. All right. What is a snake's favorite subject? What is a snake's favorite subject? Mm-hmm. Spelling. You can, it's um, wrong guesses only. Oh, uh, I, I don't I don't know then. I don't know. It is history. Okay. All right. And I'll probably have uh, some other Halloween jokes for tomorrow. All right. And, of course, Halloween's coming up next Tuesday, so hopefully you'll have some of those jokes for us next Tuesday as well. I sure will, and I will have... Um, a great Halloween uh, photo for you all. Whoa. Okay. All right. That would be something different. That'd be fun. All right. Sounds good. And talk to y'all guys on Friday. War Eagle. War Eagle. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the orthopedic clinic phone line. We need to tank our next time out of the show. When we come back, more of your phone calls on the orthopedic clinic phone line. We'll also get to sports calls player of the week. You're listening to the Thursday edition of sports call on tiger 95.9. Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 National Championship team, and you are listening to Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and TP Hammock with Brooks Childress meandering throughout the premises right now. He'll be back with us in just a moment or so. Again, coming up in just a few minutes, going to start talking some NFL as we get set for another slate of games this weekend, including tonight. Uh, Some Thursdays I don't exactly make plans to find a, a TV or find someone with uh, Amazon to be able to watch the game. I think everyone would be able to deduce why I'm going to find a TV tonight, so we'll talk a little bit about that game 
in just a few minutes. But for now, again, as promised, let's get to this week's Sports Call Player of the Week. Oklahoma State running back Ollie Gordon II is Sports Call's Player of the Week. The sophomore star led Oklahoma State to a big-time win over Big 12 rival West Virginia on Saturday, carrying the ball 29 times for 282 yards and four scores, doubling his touchdown total on the season. The explosion of production put Gordon over 800 yards on the season and means he's now averaging seven yards per carry in 2023. Ollie Gordon II is Sports Call's Player of the Week. You know, TP, I really like running backs to average seven yards a carry, and uh, whether they're starters or number two guys, that is my preference. And uh, Ollie Gordon for Oklahoma State, kind of changing the dynamic of Oklahoma State's season. I know that, again, five and two Big 12 teams you don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time on. They're not in the SEC. But I- I'll tell you when I'm right and wrong, and I was wrong about them because – Early in the year, you know, they run through the motions, beating Central Arkansas by 14, which is not great. They go beat Arizona State fine, but we know Arizona State's not any good this year. They got housed by South Alabama. They didn't lose. They got housed by South Alabama, 33-7. to And then they lose to Iowa State, who at that time, that's when Matt Campbell was facing all the, the hot seat rumors. So I thought those two results, Oklahoma State was in for a really bad year. Not just like seven and five, six and six, like a really bad year. Since then, well, after that, they beat who I thought was maybe the third best team in the conference. They beat Kansas State 29-21. They then beat a ranked Kansas team at the time, 39-32. And then they went to West Virginia, who had just had their first conference loss the week prior in heartbreak fashion. They put 48 up on West Virginia. Now Oklahoma State all of a sudden is 5-2. And, and again, that's just significant because they are one of the one-loss teams in the conference. If you're trying to find that opponent for Oklahoma or trying to knock Oklahoma out, I mean, Oklahoma State's in that category of teams to do that. But again, Oklahoma State has really righted the ship uh, after, again, I, I mean, a, a, a duo of losing to South Alabama. I know South Alabama's pretty good this year. I'm not trying to belittle them, but if you're a Power 5 team and you're losing your home field by four scores to a Sunbelt team, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not predisposed to think you're going to end up 3-1 and one in conference play four games later. But, again, here we are midway through the season. And, hey, maybe that'll set up a really interesting Bedlam game because that's the last time we're going to get it for a long time. Yeah, I, I think this goes to show just how good of a coach Mike Gundy is because, you know, that's one of the more underrated coaches. I think a lot of people would say that. And I was I was just like you. I'm pretty sure Iowa State was coming off that Ohio just Ohio, not Ohio State, <laughs> Ohio loss. So I was stunned after they had – I mean, they got smashed by South Alabama. There's one thing to lose by a field goal, you know, to a feisty group of five. We see yeah. that every now and then with the lower power fives, but they just destroyed them. And then they lost to a bad Iowa State team, but then they just they just turned it on and, you know – and they've just done really well. And this week they host uh, Cincinnati, and I think they'll get the win there. Uh, not much trouble with there. And they'll get to host Oklahoma. And uh, if you know about how Oklahoma State feels about Oklahoma yes. leaving, they are not happy at all with the Sooners about leaving the conference. So I think that's going to be a rowdy environment in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And um, I hope Oklahoma State wins, so that will set up a really good matchup there. And I think that will be on primetime on that November 4th, or I think it will be pretty pretty well watched. And I know that's the LSU-Alabama game. Right. So, But uh, that will probably – 
man, I hope that's not big noon kickoff now that I think about it. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think uh, shout out to Mike Gundy and the Cowboys for really turning around their football season whenever it could have been a free fall. Well, and, you know, it, also with that Bedlam game, I kind of forgot it wasn't the end of the year. I mean, it had been at the end of the year for a long time or – I mean, it, it feel right. I mean, it was like yes. the last. Yeah, week it was. Al- it was always yeah. with rivalry. Uh, and so now it's, as you said, two weeks away. So if Oklahoma State can take care of business against uh, Cincinnati, who's one of the two teams, them and UCF have not won a Big Twelve game. Uh, then I mean, they're six and two. I, I I don't know how many votes they have to be ranked right now, but again, they'll be knocking on the door, and uh, they will be at home against Oklahoma. And if you're looking for some chaos in the Big Twelve, like that's probably the game. You're circling at that point because Oklahoma is the only team without a conference loss at this point in play. And Oklahoma in back-to-back weeks has what I would surmise is their toughest two games at Kansas, which I know uh, at Kansas, but uh, at Oklahoma State. These these two weeks are road games for Oklahoma. Yeah, they have uh, they have five uh, votes to be in the AP uh, poll. I think that's uh, so they're somewhere around 35th, 36th. Yeah, yeah, so yeah they that, won't be ranked then. They, w- they won't be ranked, but, uh, you know, all, hey, you know, if you want to get ranked, win next week. Yeah, beat Oklahoma. <laughs> they will be. There uh, you go. Problem solved. <laughs> so, th- so that would definitely be one of those on that fly on the radar of a potentially unranked ranked matchup or unranked ranked upset, which have not had many of those this year. I know North Carolina lost at home to Virginia last week, and that's really one of the first times that I feel like I can recall that. And aside from the week one, week two stuff, some of that stuff happens because you know Colorado beat TCU. Well, TCU's four and four this year. I mean, that that's just not quite the win that maybe people thought it would be earlier in the year. So, uh, you know, there is there's not been a whole lot of major major upset stuff. Maybe Oklahoma State would pull that off. But again, Ollie Gordon is our sports call player of the week. Nearly 300 rush yards in their win at West Virginia to really get themselves in to that Big 12 uh, title game hunt. We're going to go to our next break here of the four o'clock hour. When we come back. We'll start talking some NFL. We'll tell you about the game coming up tonight, as well as a look ahead, some of the NFL storylines and some of the matchups here for Week 8 as the NFL season gets towards the halfway point. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger into the show send us your thoughts via email you've got mail sports call at the tiger.fm now back to the multi-time abby award-winning sports call Back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday, about halfway home on this Thursday afternoon. So let's get into some NFL, shall we? Uh, The game tonight is the Buffalo Bills and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Starting a stretch 
of, and I guess last week was too, of games that are watchable, or, or I, I really should say ending the stretch of watchable games, uh, because we, we've only got two or three sandwiched in here, and then depends how you feel about Titans-Steelers next week, but then you have Panthers and Bears the week after that, uh, which is not the best, and then you get to uh, a better lineup of games. So, again, we're just kind of going off and on here with the watchable games. Bucks really rough loss last week to Atlanta. That that really has changed the dynamic of their season. The Falcons are now heavy favorites to win that division uh, with that win going to Tampa and winning. Uh, the, the, the metric on it was if Tampa had won that game, they would have had approximately 71% chance of making the playoffs. With the loss, they only have a 40% chance of making the playoffs. So that's, there's not many games in the first half of seasons that swing at 30%. Uh, and that one did for Tampa Bay. So they not playing their best football in the season. Losers are too straight. Buffalo, however, with the same amount of losses, just in one more game, Buffalo 4-3, and three, and they have been underwhelming this year. They survived a giant scare, uh, maybe pun intended, two weeks ago. But that was on the heels of losing in London to Jacksonville. And then they came back and lost to a New England team that's just not been the same the last couple of years. They lose to New England uh, last week. And so the Bills, they're heavy home favorites. They should be. But, again, they are reeling in their own way here the last few weeks. What do you guys think? You know, you look at this Bills team, and it, it's it's kind of baffling that you know that they've really struggled here. That you've got all the pieces there. You you know you you look at them. You say this team should be competing, but they're they're still you know they're they're still having performances that you kind of shake your head at. Uh, and I think we've we've seen that a couple times over the last few years with them. Is they they look really good, and some weeks they look like world beaters. Like a couple weeks ago when they beat Miami, it was you know you're like oh yep they're you know Miami you looked good, but the Buffalo, this is still Buffalo's division, and then you, like you mentioned, you had that you got this three game stretch where you Jacksonville just bleh, and you know you could call, chalk chalk that up to having to go over to London, and you know the, the huge uh, time jump, the the travel, everything. Then you come back and you almost lay an egg against the the Giants. You have to come back and win that one, and the Giants still had a chance to to win that game right there at the very end. Uh, and then the Patriots game, which, you know, as a Patriots fan, I, I loved watching that game. But it was uh, not, you know, the, the Patriots are not a team that can beat, uh, the, that should be beating a team like Buffalo right now. Uh, Tampa Bay, on, on the other hand, they're they're 2-0 away from Raymond James Stadium. They're, they're still undefeated on the road. Uh, the defense, I, I think, is still a solid uh, part of that. You just, there's some there's some gaps in that offense. You, you've seen it a couple times this year. There's They've still got the pieces on offense. You still Still got the wide receivers there. Uh, I, I really like uh, the, the the wide receivers there. And Baker Mayfield has had some some moments this year where you you watch him and he's like, all right, this is the Baker Mayfield we've been looking for. And then there's other times where they just can't get the job done. Um, you know, it, it's it. I think it's important. I think this game is really important uh, for both of these teams. Uh, you're getting the you know you're getting the Bucks off of a loss to a division rival, the Falcons. Um, and then you're getting the 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 Bills off a loss to division rival Patriots, um, and, and you know it, neither of them were national TV games. Usually, you know when you you get beat by a team and you you know kind of quote get embarrassed 
and I, I go with you to win the next week. But that's usually if you play on national TV. You get embarrassed on national TV, you pick them to win that next week. Both these teams lost, but both of them were kind of regional matchups. I know the, the Patriots and the, the Bills was a little bit more nationally at the noon window, but it was still like those, those were still regional matchups. Um, I, I like that Bucks defense, though. I, I do like the Bucks defense, and especially you know Buffalo is getting frustrated. You could see it last week. You could see Josh Allen. You could see uh, Sean McDermott. Both of them were were really frustrated last week, and so if they can't figure something out tonight, uh, I, I think the Bucks can walk into Orchard Park and get and come out with a win. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about how you know the Bills haven't just been they haven't been firing it on all cylinders. You know, they kind of it kind of looked like it. And then they've just really just kind of, you know, sputtered out, per se. And uh, I really thought the Bucks were going to win last week, but uh, they, they just were kind of disappointing. And I think Ryan would agree with that statement. So um, I think, though, I think at this game, I think the Bucks are going to come out pretty hot. I think they're going to take a lead, probably like a 10-0 to 0 lead. I think it'll be about 10-3 to 3 at half, and people are going to be losing their minds on Twitter and then I think it's just going to be uh, – I think the Bills are eventually going to come back. It'll be like, you know, like uh, 24 to like 17 or something like that. You know, Josh Allen will put on the superhero cape and throw it to Stephon Diggs. But i am not been impressed with the Bills. I really haven't. Um, <clears throat> they seem to make more mistakes by the year. You know, it got to – you know, they, they lost to the Chiefs in thirteen with those 13 seconds. It felt like, you know, this was their window of opportunity. Then last year – they blew it, and now it feels like the window's just, window's just getting smaller and smaller. And, you know, Allen's not getting any younger. Stephon Diggs is not getting any younger. You know, this isn't a young team. You know, they, they're supposed to be in their prime, for say. You know, Stephon Diggs is getting towards that, you know, getting towards the end of his, for say. I'm not saying Stephon Diggs is going to fall off a cliff, but I'm just saying that I think that they're really wasting time. And uh, I think – I think it just comes down at the end of the day. It may be coaching, maybe turnovers. could be the offensive line. I know their offensive line's bad. It's been bad for like two years now. So, And that's surprising for someone who's won that much. I think that just goes to show how good Josh Allen is. But I do think the Bucks will give them a good game. But I think at the end of the day, the Bills are going to win. So what is wrong with the Bills? I mean, let's talk about it for a second. I mean, they – in my opinion, they were next in line to the AFC throne, and they have been for a couple of years. Cincinnati jumped the line, got in there, but it's been Kansas City and Buffalo as the two most successful teams for the last three to four years, With again, with a little bit of Cincinnati. And now, and here's what I have trouble figuring out, and that's why I think it's one of two things. They, can, they went out there and thumped Miami pretty good. Like, hey, this can still be our division – this is cute that you're running all this great offense, but we're the team that's been here and done that. And then they lose a couple games. Look, Jacksonville's fine, but Buffalo, I thought, would be around 13 wins this year. So I don't have them losing to Jacksonville if they get 13-4. And then especially, they play a really pedestrian game against the Giants. They could have lost. I mean, for the same price, they really got away with another grab in the end zone at the end of that game and New York could have gotten another opportunity there at the end and then Buffalo goes out and loses and look you can say all you want about oh New England's familiar with them Belichick's great blah blah but A this is the worst Patriots team that I've seen 
and B, they thought the Buffalo thought Miami. Miami should be familiar familiar with them too. So if they want to say have some sort of AFC East primal, this is our division now. You don't go then lose to New England. And Mac Jones played the best game he's played all year. I mean, you you allowed a lot of things that New England had not been doing well to happen. So what 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 is the problem with Buffalo? Are are they not valuing the regular season enough? Do you feel there are chemistry issues with that team now? What do you think? I think uh, I think there's a good. I think that's a really good question. I think that's what a lot of people have been asking. I think it comes down to two things. I think it's offensive line play. They're not they're not great. And also, what are they not great at? Now they can pass block well, but they cannot run block well. And that was my second point: is that they do not have a very good rushing attack. You look here, uh, James Cook. He has 419 yards and a touchdown. And I know James, uh, not James, I know jo- Josh Allen, he can scramble and he can make plays with his legs, and he does that. He does that very well. He takes hits. He's like a human wrecking ball. But at the end of the day, you have to have a good run attack. It can't be Josh Allen scrambles out and he's looking for Stephon Diggs, but he's just going to run with his legs. You need a legitimate rushing attack, and that starts with the line doing good run blocking, which they haven't been able to do. They really haven't. If you watch a Bills game, they try to run the ball, it gets about a yard or two, and then they just start getting throw happy. So they're really relying on Josh Allen's arms, which is why he has seven interceptions on the year. He also has 15 touchdowns, but it's just because they've been throwing the ball with sheer numbers. So I think I think the Bills just need to get a better rushing attack, and that's the thing with what we saw with the Chiefs and what we saw with the Bengals is the, the ability to be able to run. The Bengals had Joe uh, Joe Mixon. The Chiefs, albeit they kind of had Clyde edwards Lair and kind of Isaiah Pacheco, but they were able to balance it out pretty well between you know Thunder and Lightning right there. But uh, that's the thing with the Bills. They've just never really had a dominant rushing attack, whether it be James Cook or uh, – you know, whenever they did have Devin Singletary, who's now a Texan, uh, they've just never really valued the run game. I think it, it's it comes down to to something that's when you look at Josh Allen. You know, you, you look back at his first year at Buffalo, 2018. He wasn't that great. He had more more interceptions than touchdowns that year. He started to build up after that, and you know, he he really peaked in that 2020 year. Uh, you know, he went what uh, 37 touchdowns. 10 interceptions he had a 107.2 rating uh and then after that it was uh one more year of uh of brian dable and then dable left went to went to um the new york giants he's been gone this is the second year he's been gone and you started to see some of those those tendencies come back with uh, with josh allen I think that Brian Dable helped him a lot. You know, you, obviously you look at those the stats there and how he, he progressed. But now that he's gone, I, I think that Josh Allen's starting to make some more mistakes. He's learned. Now, don't, not, not, not saying I'm, – I'm not saying he's going back to first-year Josh Allen where he's going to throw more interceptions and touchdowns. He obviously learned some stuff from Dable. But with Dable not there to fix things – Every single time, I think he's he's starting to make a few more of those mistakes, and I, I think that's the key. I think the Patriots gave you another key to to beating the 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 Bills last week is to make uh, Josh Allen uncomfortable. You 
TP, you were talking about how their offensive line wasn't uh, the best. Well, not a lot of people have taken advantage of that. The Patriots defense got in there, and they were able to take advantage of it, get him off his spot. And I know he's a little bit of a scrambler. He doesn't want to scramble. He wants to make those plays down the field. And so I think the more you get in this face, and, I, and tonight I think that um, I think that uh, Tampa Bay's defense can do this too. I think they've got enough playmakers up front uh, that they can get in the backfield and they can make uh, make Josh Allen uncomfortable, make him get outside of the pocket and, and try to make plays downfield. And the more that teams do this, the more that, that Josh Allen gets uncomfortable and makes some mistakes, the more he's going to get frustrated, the more Sean McDermott's going to get frustrated, the more Stephon Diggs is going to get frustrated. We saw him last – there were several times you saw in the, the TV uh, broadcast last week against the Patriots, he would walk over after the game, or after the series and walk straight over to Josh Allen and say – like you obviously couldn't tell what he was saying. His back was to the camera, but he was saying some stuff to, to the offensive staff and Josh Allen. He's starting to get some frustrated. I think we saw that a little in the offseason. He, he had a little bit of frustration, but it's this year starting to get a little more frustrating for Stephon Diggs. And when, when wide receivers get frustrated, yes. that's never a good thing. Yes, no, that that's what I think it is. I, I think that that is permeating through the team a little bit. And when the star wide receiver complains, I mean, again, I'm not a historian of everything that's gone on the last 40 years, but it just feels like when a wide receiver, the number one wide receiver, starts to get unhappy, things go downhill, and it's really hard to correct it. And, you know, this team, I think, has a little bit of built-in pressure because – the clock is starting to tick in a sense. Not that they can't be good for a while. I mean, Josh Allen's a young guy. I mean, as long as they have Josh Allen, they'll be competitive. But they have some older players on defense. As TP mentioned earlier, Diggs is not one of the youngest great receivers in the league. He is a great receiver, but he is on the, the upper end of the prime there last couple of years of it. And there's just no inherent reason why they're going to be improving in the next two to three years rather than maybe just leaking a little bit. So I think there is some pressure there, and I think it's it's coming to a head because of Diggs' frustration, which did date back to the offseason and, and continues to kind of be present. But the last thing I'll say on the matchup tonight, it is an interesting matchup because Josh Allen has been turning the ball over more. Seven interceptions so far this year, which is a little high for a high-end uh, quarterback in the National Football League through this point in the year. Guess who has the best turnover differential in the NFL? It would be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They are plus seven on the year, so they're averaging basically plus one possession per game. They've only played six games. I was going to say you've only you know you've only played uh, this many games. You mentioned those seven interceptions. He's already halfway to his interception mark from last yeah. year. And so the Bucks have 13 takeaways. That is not first, but it is tied for first amongst teams that played six games. The Bills are one of the other teams. They have forced a lot of turnovers, but they have also uh, given the ball away more. They have forced 14, but they've given away 11 times, and that goes into their turnovers. So turnover battle tonight, important. Tampa is one of the teams that can rival Buffalo in terms of taking the ball away. The other thing, though, which is going to continue to limit the Bucks as long as this has been true, is the Buccaneers cannot run the football. They could not run it last year. It was nearly historically bad. And this year they are being saved by the likes of the Ra- uh, excuse me, the Raiders and a couple others, but they are still 29th in the NFL in rushing this year, just over 75 yards a game. The Bucks cannot run. And they do attempt it a good bit. And so the Bills are kind of a below-average rush defense. That's one of the ways that you can get them. 
but again that's just that's just not something that uh, that that's not something that the Bucks can really take advantage of. When some teams play the 18th or 19th best rush defense, that's saying okay, that might be an opportunity. No, the Bucks are not going to run the ball. Period. They can't do it, and, and so that should be enough for Buffalo to be in a pretty good spot. And so I do think the Bills win at home against the Bucks. The Bucks just don't they don't have a lot of offense. So they. It's different than last year. Their offensive ineptitude is more based off of uh, a few plays not being made to their fullest rather than the opportunities. Last year, you just see Brady in the pocket, no one open, uh, check down, you know, or can't quite hang in there long enough to deliver a deep ball. And, and it was just a disconnect there most of the season. The pass pro has been a little better for Tampa this year. It's, it's really helped them more than anything that Baker is more mobile. He has broken several sacks this year. I like the play calling personally. I think Canales has done a better job. I see the stuff that does become available to them, but ultimately they just can't run it. And when you're one-dimensional in the National Football League, it just gets really hard. And that's when you get you have two to three plays, two to three defining plays in a game, and Mayfield the last couple weeks has not been able to make them. All right, couple more minutes left in the hour. That's the Bucks bills coming up tonight. Uh, let's look at one more game before we, uh, we we end the hour. Let's look at one more NFC South game, the, the, the Falcons going to Tennessee. Guys, I'm interested in this because, well, A, we carry the Atlanta Falcons, but B, Tennessee, Will Levis time. Ryan Tannehill is not going to be healthy enough to play. And stop me if you've heard this before, Auburn fans. Tennessee's going to play two quarterbacks on Sunday. They're going to play both Levis and Malik Willis. But Levis is going to get the start as expected to play more. Uh, I think that's music to Falcons fans' ears that they're going to play two quarterbacks and that Will Levis and Malik Willis are those two quarterbacks. Uh, Atlanta only favored by two and a half because it is in Tennessee. Maybe the question here is, is this the last game Derrick Henry plays for the Tennessee Titans? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure because, you know, that, that was kind of a rumor last year. I want to say yeah, but I, I, I that's a good I, – I think the Ravens could honestly go towards him. I, to answer your question, I'll say yes. I'll okay. say this. I'll go bold, yes. But, boy, is that going to be a bad football game? <laughs> 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 I know, that's why I only have two minutes for it, but yeah. But yeah, yeah I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet then. Uh, I'm going with uh, the Falcons because I think that they will be able to move the ball just a little bit better because Desmond Ritter, uh, I think he'll be able to pass it a little bit better than those two quarterbacks. I think that uh, their, their running back room is pretty good, and uh, maybe Bijan will actually play this week. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Falcons fans, when you watch Desmond Ritter run out in the field, you wonder if it's going to be Mr. Ritter or Dr. Turnover. Uh, it's, 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 you know, he, he's, he shows flashes and then he shows horrendous stuff too. And so you don't know what you're getting every time he runs out there. I think that, that defense, the Falcons defense, you, we've talked about it all year long is, is pretty good. Uh, they, they've been, they've been able to, to uh, limit some, some teams this year. I think they've got a chance to go out there and, and take advantage of two of a two quarterback system. Both guys are not proven in the NFL. We we don't know exactly what they're what they're capable of, but I think they the the Falcons defense can come out and and have a field day on Sunday afternoon with this uh, this it, uh, almost anemic uh, Tennessee team. Yeah, so don't bet the over <laughs> on this one. 
Atlanta 29th in the league in scoring 16 and a half a game. And the over-under is only 35 right. and a half. And Tennessee is 25th in the league at 17.3 a game. You add those up, that's 33 or 34 a game. That's why the over-under is 35. What, you said 35? Yeah. 35? So, again, I, I, I it's going to be – a, a, a twenty to ten, a seventeen to thirteen type of game. I'd be surprised if it wasn't. Atlanta's got the the players out wide to score more, and they've got the running backs and that sort of thing. But again, like you said with Ritter, the moment he starts to play well, then something is a setback. Uh, it's it's been turnovers the last couple of weeks. There's some inaccurate passes, important situation in weeks prior. Uh, again, there there's. It's not all bad with him. There is something in there, but he will run out of time if he continues to have two and three turnover performances because you just can't have that in the league. And if the Bucks were a little better team, the Falcons would have lost that game because the Falcons had 17 points, we'll say, that they did not score because of fumbles there. Now, you know, the Shaq Barrett strip sack was the one that's not really on Ritter, uh, and that was on third down, so that would have been a field goal. But then you drop a snap, and I like maybe it's that's partly on the center. I don't know, but that's still find the ball, fall on the ball, something, save the possession, and then obviously there's just no excuse for starting to pull up and 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 getting it stripped at the half yard line out of bounds, going out the back of the end zone. So uh, again, if if the Bucks were a little more spry and could have taken more advantage of that, then that would have been a, a boneheaded loss for Atlanta. Uh, even within a t- again, because Atlanta should have been up two two scores at that point, maybe even three. So again, it's not it's not like Atlanta played poorly. It's just that those are the type of mistakes when they're playing good teams as opposed to ant teams. They won't they won't win if those mistakes continue. Again, fortunately for the Falcons, though, they do have uh, one of the easiest schedules remaining in the season. But uh, again, once you come playoff time, and may- maybe there is still an important division game down the line with the Saints or Bucks again, but. Uh, again, I do think the Falcons will pull it out. Again, I, I don't think it'll be the prettiest football game either. I think there'll be a lot of running. I think a lot of Derrick Henry, uh, a lot of Bijan, a lot of Algier. Cordell Patterson was actually better, in my opinion, than Algier was last week against Tampa. But uh, Atlanta has three good running backs there. We're out of time here for hour number two. When we come back, more NFL to start the 5 o'clock hour. We'll have a sports call 5 at 5. Again, more NFL. And then also, by the end of the hour, get Brooks and TP's thoughts. Again, final thoughts on Auburn, Mississippi State, as this is their last show of the week. So we'll get final analysis and predictions from them. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. hours of sports call are finished don't touch that radio dial we've got one more hour to go whether you're leaving work cruising around town or listening on demand we've still got some fun left for you to be part of the show give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9 
Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Or if you listen after the fact, on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. We certainly appreciate all those that are tuning in, however you may be tuning in here on this Thursday. Again, Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday. And as we continue on here in the 5 o'clock hour, we want to get to today's Sports Call 5 at 5 presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends, and John and Brian can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land to get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them on line at selandgroup.com. Since we're talking some NFL here to start the 5 o'clock hour, going to go ahead and give you the top five scoring offenses right now in the National Football League. We start off with number one, the Miami Dolphins at over 34 points a game. They are well ahead of second place by almost six points. Dolphins a little quieter against Philadelphia, obviously quieter when they lost to Buffalo earlier this year, but Miami has put up some impressive point totals. Mike McDaniel's offense working out well. Or two, talking about. Well, I believe I saw Tyree Kill is questionable uh, this weekend, though, so that might be uh, a little bit of a disappointment for the Dolphins. But we'll see if that ends up being a big deal against the Patriots. Number two, number two scoring offense in the league might be a little surprising to you, just based on how they played the last couple of weeks. It's the San Francisco 49ers still at over 28 and a half points a game, 28.7. To be exact, 49ers have lost two straight, but again, Shanahan has had a really good scheme for a number of years now that a lot of quarterbacks have been able to play well in that system, and the 49ers obviously one of the best defensive units in the league, statistically one of the best offensive units in the league as well. Number three. We've already talked a little bit about them. The number three scoring offense in the NFL is the Buffalo Bills, despite their four and three record. They have scored pretty consistently in all these games, except for that New York Giants game. Josh Allen is one of the league's, leader, league's leaders in passer, uh, pass attempts, pass yards, pass completions, all that sort of stuff. But uh, Allen has uh, thrown a few picks. They've not run the ball great, and obviously they've been giving up points. So Buffalo just four and three in the season, despite having the number three scoring offense at twenty eight point three points a game. Number four. Number four is the defending NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles at twenty six point six on the year. They felt a little underwhelming at times, just based off what they have. But still, great out as one of the best NFL offenses in the league. They have this play you might have heard of that they use in short yardage situations. It's been very effective. It's the tush push. Uh, they also have really good weapons on the end. Jalen Hurts been a little off at times this year, but still doing what they need to do. Eagles still a one-loss team looking good on the season. 
Again, 26.6 points a game. And finishing off the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group, the five top five scoring offenses in the NFL so far this year. Number five is a division rival of the Eagles. It's the Dallas Cowboys, 25.7 points a game. We're really getting into it where only a couple tenths of a point separate teams in this space, but Dallas still ranks out at number five. That might be a little surprising to some. Uh, but Dak Prescott playing pretty well so far this year. They have not missed Ezekiel Elliott too much. Maybe they missed him in the red area a little bit, but P- Tony Pollard's been doing a pretty good job. Dallas does have some defensive injuries to worry about, um, but coming off the bye week, refresh. Dallas off to a pretty good start, offensively being fifth in the league, and that is the sports call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. All right, let's start to get to some of the top matchups of the week, and there's a couple really good ones. We'll start with one that may have been under the radar coming in the year. I don't know if on the surface Jaguars-Steelers would have been a must-watch game. However, as we come into week eight here, the Jags 5-2 and two on the season. They have gotten it rolling after a slow start. I was not very high on the Jaguars after three or four games, but they have been awesome the last few weeks. They survived New Orleans last week on Thursday night. They go to Pittsburgh, who, again, I wouldn't have put – in uh, the race to be awesome this year. But they're getting just enough out of their offense. They've had a really good defensive unit. And they're 4-2 and two on the season. The guys, uh, which which one of these starts surprises you more? 5-2 and two Jacksonville or 4-2 and two Pittsburgh? I would say 4-2 and two Pittsburgh because whenever they played the Texans and they got ran out of Houston, it, it felt like they were going to be very average, probably below average team. But I think we realize now that the Texans are just better than people thought. They've just looked really well with um, not a lot of supporting cast there. So, um, yeah, I would say Pittsburgh, their defense has just looked really good. I mean, they got them that win over the Browns on um, Monday. It was Monday Night Football, I believe. And uh, they've just looked pretty good. I was impressed whenever they went out to the Rams stadium. But if you watch that game, that was more of a Steelers home game than it was a, a Rams home game with the terrible towels flying and all. But, uh, yeah, I've been impressed with what I've seen. Kenny Pickett's looked better than I thought. Uh so I've been impressed with that. But uh, the Jags, like I said, before the season started, I thought they were going to be the AFC South champs, and they're doing a pretty good job of it. But, uh, yeah, we'll just see how it plays out. I'll say I, I think the more uh, – I agree. I think the more surprising uh, result right now is uh, Pittsburgh because you look at how both of these teams' schedules started. Uh, you would have picked – you know, probably picked the Jaguars and the Colts was probably a pick them at the very beginning of the year. Uh, some people would have leaned more toward Jacksonville. You lost to the Chiefs. That's a you know a lot of people are going to pick that that Texans game I think was a little surprising but you know obviously we we know the Texans are a little bit better than we thought they were going to be beat the Falcons that surprising one we talked about a little bit earlier uh, when we were talking about the Bills but beating the Bills then you beat the Colts again then you beat the Saints uh, I, I think that around there that's about where maybe one more loss wouldn't I would say this. If you look at how they their their schedule looks like, I would have just I it I think they should be probably about the, the same record. I would have just flipped the losing to Buffalo and beating Houston. I, I think it would be the same record. Pittsburgh, on the other hand, you know, lost to the 49ers, you beat the Browns, okay, you beat the Raiders, all right, you lost to the Texans, you beat the Ravens and you beat the Rams. I think those that Ravens and that Rams team preseason, I would have taken both of those teams to beat the Steelers. Steelers won both of those games. I think the you know they're they're in a in a good spot right here. You look at the rest of the the Steelers uh, schedule here, or at least this next month of Steelers football, you got the Jaguars, you got the Titans, the Packers, 
the Browns, and then the Bengals. Uh, and th- those five games, you could really see them coming out of that with a winning record too. It, yeah, they could beat the Titans. They can beat the Packers. Uh, th- that Browns game, that Bengals game, and that Jaguars game, it's going to depend on how those teams look when you play them. Obviously, this weekend you get the Jaguars. Um, they're uh, undefeated. Uh, they're they're one of those teams that's undefeated away from home. Three and zero. Steelers are two and one at home. I, I think the Jaguars this week. Uh, you know, I think I, I really like how Travis Lawrence. Uh, Travis Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence has played this. Uh, I tried to try, uh, combine ETN, him yeah. and Etn. Uh, but yeah, tre- Trevor Lawrence. I really liked how he's played with Etn uh, this year, and so I, I think that those two are, are really gelling together uh, on that offense. On the Pittsburgh side of things, I think George Pickens has had a really good year so far. Uh, uh, and I, but I, I don't know if if they're going. I, I think Jacksonville is going to have a little bit too much offense this week to to uh, for Pittsburgh to overcome. Yeah, I really want to watch picking that game because admittedly, last couple of weeks I've not gotten to see much of him. Uh, usually, I make sure I watch all the games as long as I'm not in Tampa. Well, half the year I'm in Tampa, and that's been the case the last two weeks. But uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that game because I think that. Um, Pittsburgh has a defense that's good enough to win that division. Uh, I think they showed that in the Baltimore game. They didn't really do much offensively in that game. They just made Lamar Jackson look kind of bad, which then he looked awesome last week in the continuing up-and-down nature of his passing game, which has started to trend more up, obviously, recently. But anyway, that was a very low-scoring game. But you know, Pittsburgh continues to just win football games and Tomlin has been a winning coach he has been his entire tenure there and that's worth something and you know Kenny Pickett on the surface to me is one of the lesser talented quarterbacks in the NFL uh, so being able to win with that tells me again the aptitude of that defense and of Tomlin you know I I know we're not talking about the Texans this second but the Texans are a, a very funny cog in the machine with these two teams. Texans are three and three in the year, and they beat both these teams by twenty plus points. Beat the crud out of them. Uh, Texans on the year have really had a tough schedule. They lost the Baltimore start of the year. Uh, their weakest opponents are Indy and the Saints, who are three and four. They're not awful teams, just not great, and they split those games. They lost a two-pointer to the Falcons, who might end up winning the South. And then, again, they drubbed the Jaguars in the Texans. 37-17 and 30-6. to That's a lot for an NFL game. A lot of these NFL games are single-digit ball games. Beat them by three scores, that's, that's significant. So um, both these teams will, will have to have a meeting of the minds to how to beat Houston. Of course, it's more important for Jacksonville. They'll play them again. But, uh, you know, I, I, I like what the Jaguars have done. And, and again, I'll tell you – that I was not the highest on them. Uh, I was thinking that the AFC South through three or four weeks was going to end up being a race all year long, and the Jaguars are on a mission to not make it a race, even though that the Titans and, or excuse me, the uh, Texans and the Colts are a little bit better than expected. Uh, they're on a mission to really pull away there. So that's an interesting game because you can see Jacksonville really start to take off and run and hide in the AFC South. And then for Pittsburgh, the AFC North, they all could win it. I, I'm not convinced any team is out of it. Even three and three Cincinnati coming off the bye, they have won a couple here before the bye. They got a tough one against San Francisco, which we're going to get to in a second. But uh, really, everyone's alive in that AFC North. You know, you would not love Cleveland's odds with Watson out, 
but their defense is so awesome. I mean, they played a high-scoring game. They did a really interesting thing against Indy. They played a high-scoring game in which I thought Cleveland's defense was really damn good. It was like 39-38. to 38. And for that, in the NFL, that's very high-scoring. And yet, I still thought the defense did a pretty good job. Yes, Minshew had its moments, but if you look at Cleveland's offense, it was not Cleveland's offense producing uh, a, a lot of that offense. It was it was Cleveland's defense generating offense uh, for the Browns. So that was a fascinating game. Anyway, uh, Jag Steelers. I I think Jacksonville will pull it out, but look, that's a tough place to play. And again, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Kenny Pickett play. But all right, so. On the topic of AFC North, because the Browns are involved in one of these. Browns, Seahawks. It's two four and two teams. Again, I'm not sure that if you told me, I, I will give you this. Seattle being four and two, that's not a shock. I think they were about to be a 10 win team or so this year, and they're on track to do that. But for Cleveland to be four and two, given what their quarterback play has been like, because Watson was not good the first couple games, then he was really good for a game, and he got hurt. And so they've been playing P.J. Walker uh, since then. And, and 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 even in the Indianapolis game, Watson starts the game, falls on the shoulder again, thought it was a concussion. I, I really don't know what's going on with him, but he's out. And so they basically had two P.J. Walker games. And again, they won a high-scoring game with the Colts, 39-38, um, with Anthony Richardson out. But again, with the Browns generating – just 320 yards of offense. It was not like it was some, you know, you score 40 points, you expect 500 yards or high 400 or something. I mean, Walker, <laughs> P.J. Walker was 15 to 32. You tell me you gave, you, the other team scored 38 points and he was 15 to 32, I would have said you never, you never have a chance in that. You might lose 38-10. But Cleveland's defense, every single time, <clears throat> they weren't allowing points, they were creating points for their offense. So Cleveland goes to Seattle. How far can Cleveland's defense take them this year? I think they can take them. Uh, I mean, they're just a really elite defense. We know that by now. They are incredible. But, uh, you know, I just have a feeling that towards the back half of the schedule, they're going to get more worn down. They're going to get more injured. You know, whether you like it or not, you know, this is a very hard sport to play, especially, you know, being healthy. So, uh, I think – I've been surprised as well that they've been four and two, especially without Deshaun Watson. I mean, they beat the 49ers without Deshaun Watson. That was very strange, and uh, I know the 49ers got banged up as well. But I think they're—I think the Browns' defense can lead them to at least 500. But I have a feeling that this is not a very sustainable way to win. I do think the Seahawks are going to win on uh, Sunday. I think they're going to beat the Browns because I think Geno Smith is. Better than P.J. Walker, obviously. That's not some profound statement. But I think that, uh, you know, I think Seattle is pretty good. I think they've been flying under the radar, and I don't think a lot of people give them a lot of attention, but I think they do deserve some respect. I think that uh, if Geno can carve up this Browns defense, who's been really good this year, I think they will uh, start to get that respect that they've been looking for. I think the Browns defense can can keep them in a playoff race here down the stretch. You look at the rest of their schedule after this week. I, I don't know. Uh, I, you know, I I feel like Seattle's going to have the upper hand this weekend. I, I think that they get the probably get the win this weekend. But after they play Seattle, they've got here, here's teams that they can beat. Uh, you know, with the with the fine offense and with the defense playing the way it has. Cardinals, Steelers, Broncos, 
Uh, you've got the Jets later on. You've got the Texans. You've got the Bears. You've got the Rams. There's some offensively challenged there, teams. There's in some there, offensively yeah. challenged teams here. So I, I think that this team, the, if the defense continues to play like this, if Watson does, if Watson comes back, um, and he's not, you know, he does not. Uh, play his best ball the defense can continue to keep them in a playoff race does it get them into the playoffs probably not because there's some good offensive teams around the around the league you you know you you would assume you know the looking at wild card one team is going to win the east the afc east either the bills or the dolphins the other one's probably going to make the playoffs out of those two the the north you've got the steelers you've got the bengals you've got the the ravens and uh the browns four teams there are all uh teams that i could re- realistically see making a playoff spot maybe you know just win the division but you know i could see all of them in in the west uh you know you've got the 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 chiefs that's really the the only one in the west i could see realistically maybe the chargers make a charge here uh, as you go yeah. along, and then the South, you've got a uh, the the South. You you've got the Jaguars, uh, and then I don't know if anybody else there is powerful enough. I don't think that 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 division is good enough to get two teams in. So you've got a chance to keep them in a playoff race here uh, as you go along with that defense. But I think you need a little bit more on the offensive side to uh, to actually get over that hump into the playoffs. But right now, I think this defense can can uh, if they keep playing the way they have, they can it can keep them in some in some football games, give their offense a chance to win some games, uh, especially like you said, Ryan, against some of these offensively challenged teams. This weekend, though, I think that uh, that Geno Smith and this this uh, South, uh, South Seattle offense is just going to be a, a little bit too much. All right, guys, give me one more game to hit on before. Uh, we go to our next break and we transition back to college to close out the show. I'll go through the other games. I'll read them off. It is a full slate, by the way. All, all 16, all 32 teams playing in the NFL this weekend. You got Patriots and Dolphins. You got the Jets and Giants and the I don't have a quarterback bowl. Uh, we've talked Jags, Steel, Steelers. We've talked about the Falcons uh, and the Titans. You've got Eagles, Commanders. Uh, you've got Rams, Cowboys, Texans, Panthers, Vikings, Packers, uh, Saints, Colts. Uh, we taught Brown Seahawks, Ravens, Cardinals, Chiefs at the Broncos, Cincy at San Francisco, wink, wink, hint, hint, Chicago at the Chargers, and Raiders at the Lions. I, you know, I'm I'm really interested in that Rams Cowboys game. Uh, you, you know, you've got the you you've got a a, a team with the the Cowboys. Who are you know? It's it's kind of a mixed bag. Some weeks they look really good. Some weeks they're they're not you know coming. Up, they're not playing up to standard. Um, I, I think that coming back at home, you're undefeated at home if you're the Cowboys. You've got a, a Rams team that is also kind of a mixed bag. You look at Matthew Stafford this year. Uh, passed only passed for 1,908 yards so far. Seven touchdowns, but six interceptions. He's only thrown one less interception. Than he has touchdowns on the year. Uh, I think that could be a really interesting – if the Rams can get a win on the road at, at Dallas, that could start to, to turn some their season a little bit here. That could be one of those games that turns things. The Cowboys, you're, you know, you're, if, if you're looking at things, you've got to try to keep pace with those Eagles. The Eagles continue to keep winning. Uh, and you're, if you're Dallas, you, you've got to keep pace with them, give yourself a chance to you – know, you play them twice this year, so you've got to get a chance to beat them coming up. And if you can, if, if you can get a win this weekend – I think that would go a long way in helping keep pace with the with the Philadelphia Eagles. I, I'm going to pick 
for my game, I'm going to go with the Chicago Bears and the Los Angeles Chargers. And you may be going, oh, why, why is he talking about that? It's because he's a Bears fan. Well, yes, but I'm also going with this reason. If, if their coach, if Brandon Staley loses to the backup quarterback of the Chicago Bears at home, you cannot – you, there's no you, you way clean out his locker for him. Yeah, I was about to say you 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 hire someone to clean it out for him. So whenever he walks in on Monday, you just say, "Yeah, this isn't working out. Go home. Go go somewhere else. You you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here." So I I'm really interested to see that uh, if my Bears are able to knock off the Chargers and get Brandon Saley fired. I know that'll make a lot of Charger fans happy because they really don't like him, and I think he's a I don't know how he is as a head coach. I, I think he's very. Um, a lot of things that he does doesn't um, ring true to me. He's more on the analytic side, and that's fine. But there's some things that he does that I just think are really dumb. And so uh, if they lose to Tyson Bagnett and the Chicago Bears and Les Fields is playing, uh, I think that'll be uh, – I think that'll be his curtain call. I think that'll be his last, uh, his final farewell. You think to it'd the be truck. closing time? Yeah, I think it'd be. Yeah, yeah, I think it'd be uh, closing time. I think uh, he'd be finding some new work there. But but besides that one, I think a lot of these games, you know, we've already touched on a little bit. But uh, but yeah, I'm really interested to see the Bengals 49ers. I want to see how they do without Brock Purdy and see how Sam Darnold does in the Bay Area playing for the 49ers. And uh, another one, I know this one isn't going to get touched on that much by anyone. But the Raiders-Lions, the only reason why I want to see that is how does Jared Goff and the Lions bounce back after just getting humiliated on sure. national TV? Sure. I mean, that was uh, comical how, how bad they got beat and how early they got beat by. Uh, the Raiders are a walking comedy, though, so that's the, the good news for the <laughs> Lions is the Raiders continue to have drama, and I think this will be McDaniels last year probably as a head coach in the NFL ever. I, I think that he's about out of, out of chances at it. And um, I, I can't imagine him going much further. And obviously, Devontae Adams is unhappy. And I, I think they're going to have to be looking at a different uh, coach after this year. But, yeah, I, I I think it's clearly the of the remaining games. I think it's the Bengals 49ers because the Bengals got a win or two before the bye week. Now they had a bye week. Hopefully, Burrow is healthier. You then have the 49ers who are the type of team that you would think Cincinnati would be in big trouble against because 49ers rush the passer really well. The Bengals do not protect the passer well. But again, you do have a uh, hopefully a healthier Burrow. And on the other side of things, you have a less healthy 49ers team who's got wide receiver injuries. McCaffrey is looking fine, but uh, again, not necessarily 100%. And then Brock Purdy, who came up on the injury report the other day with a concussion, uh, not technically ruled out yet but i mean unlikely to then have a midweek concussion report and then all of a sudden clear in time for sunday so san francisco not in the best of spots are going to start sam darnold and that's going to be i look i'm interested in that sam darnold's not good he's not a good nfl quarterback but a lot of people don't think that you have to be any good to succeed in kyle shanahan's offense so if he can light up the bengals I'm not saying that creates a controversy, but it certainly doesn't help Brock Purdy's case of being one of the top quarterbacks out there. So I'm interested to see how Darnold plays and, again, how Burrow looks. Cincinnati's 3-3 three and three for all the horrible things that, that happened to start the year with Burrow's injury, with losing uh, a couple games, with not looking good offensively. They're towards the bottom of the NFL in offense right now, which you would not figure, but that's just the way it's been for them this year. 
If they go to San Francisco and get a win, come out above 500, I mean, again, they're in that AFC North race. They're all in the race. They, they all could make the playoffs. Uh, so it's still a lot of time for them. And uh, interesting that the 49ers, I mean, again, trying to avoid losing three in a row, all of a sudden you have to make sure you win your division because uh, Seattle's four and two. So that, that that's still early to be riding that thing off too. So, again, I'm, I'm really interested in that one. We're going to take our next time out of the show. When we come back, we will get to some college football. The guys will give their final thoughts on their final show of the week for Auburn and Mississippi State. I will also look at a couple other quick things in the world of college football. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday, starting to get to the latter moments of the show here today. So let's get to some more college football before we get back to Auburn and Mississippi State. Um, Not the huge weekend that you just pine over in terms of a bunch of ranked matchups, a a bunch of huge implications for the playoff or for each conference championship and that sort of thing. I think the biggest game nationally is pretty clearly Oregon and Utah. I mean, and with all due respect to the next game, I want to say when the second biggest game is probably Duke-Louisville, and I know they're both ranked this year and they're having good good years, but if that's the second biggest game of the weekend, that's not necessarily going to be bulletin board. You know, that everybody needs to stop what you're doing all day Saturday. Uh, but that Oregon and Utah game, since you guys are not uh, going to be on the show tomorrow, and, and I mean that one does have stakes. I think the I know it's weird with Utah because they're so one dimensional, but they are ranked highly enough. They've got enough great games remaining on the resume. If Utah won out, they'd be in the mix for the playoff. Now they may not control their destiny the way some of these other teams do, but I don't think they're out of it as a one loss Pac-12 team. But Oregon's certainly still in it. Uh, even with the loss of Washington, they didn't drop much. I believe they're still eighth in the country, which is ahead of Alabama, which might become a notable one-loss situation at the end of the year. We'll see. Uh, but but this one's big. This is an elimination game. Loser of this is out of the playoff conversation. The loser of this is also going to have a troublesome time making the conference championship game because both these teams already have one loss in the Pac-12. So this is a pretty significant game nationally and obviously in that league. Yeah, I think this is going to be a very important matchup, obviously, like you said. Uh, I think it's going to boil down to the Oregon defense versus the Utah offense. And Utah is very well coached. That's what they pride themselves on. They don't miss tackles. They do everything right. They do the little things right. And that's how they're able to beat USC. You know, USC, they feel like, you know, they're so flashy and, you know, they they don't really work on some of the things that Utah works on. But that's not the point. point is this is Utah versus Oregon. I think Oregon, I think they do – I think they're better. I think with Cam Risen, this would be a pretty – 
pretty close football game, like a coin flip-wise, but I'm going to lean towards Oregon. I think, uh, you know, it could be around, uh, I would say about a seven-point victory for the Ducks, but it won't be easy. I just really value that Oregon defense. You know, in the second half against Michael Penix Jr., they really shut him down outside of that strange uh that fourth and three call where they like tried to throw it and it was you know that, then they gave up the touchdown but besides that oregon's defense is legit they're a really good squad they're, they're more like an sec defense you know they got dan lanning and they recruit the southeast you know they get the good players out of um the you know these states you know alabama georgia florida so i think it's going to come down the defense i think oregon's on win i will go with the score of 24 to 17 when you look at this, I do agree Oregon's defense is good, but when you're going up against a high-power offense, they still give up points. Uh, you, you saw a couple weeks ago with that Washington game, they still gave up 36 points uh, to a, a very good Huskies team. You gave up 24 points to Washington State the, the last week, uh, yeah, last weekend, um, and, and you gave up 30 points to Texas Tech at the beginning of the year. So when you go up against an offense that can move the ball, uh, they're, they're still giving up points. Problem is, is typically Utah's offense can't move the ball. Um, these the last couple of weeks, you've seen them uh, kind of break out of that. They played USC, which is not the 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 stellar defense that uh, anybody strives for. And the week before that, they put up 34 on Cal uh, against uh, the Golden Bears at home. And so I think you know you Utah's offense is still not something that I'm I'm confident in. Um, but I think that if you know you look at this game, I think it's going to be lower scoring than most Pac-12 games are going to be. I think you're going to see this game along the lines of like uh, what you saw when Utah played Oregon State or Utah played UCLA. That was a 14 to seven win for Utah over UCLA, and it was a 21 to seven win for Oregon State over Utah. I think Oregon's offense. I think Bo Nix uh, has some weapons there that he's going to take advantage of. I think they win. I think the line right now is Oregon by six and a half. I would not be shocked if it's it's not even – you don't even get – it's you, you get there. Uh, I, I think that Oregon could probably win that game. It could be three. I, I could see it anywhere between winning by a field goal for, for the Ducks to winning by uh, six – Seven, eight points somewhere on the three to eight points. But you think it'll be a one possession? I think game. it's going to be very much a one possession game because I think that Utah defense is stout enough that they could keep it a one possession game. Yeah, again, this is just a clash of styles and clash of different, uh, different strengths. Because I, TP, I know you said Utah offense versus Oregon defense, but I think it's it's about the Oregon offense and the Utah defense because that's the situation where. You've got a quarterback that's in the Heisman race still with Bo Nix. A really good run game. Oregon runs the ball very effectively, and I think it goes unnoticed. So, I mean, it's a complete offensive unit. Whereas Utah's defense is clearly a really good unit, and I would grade it probably as a top 10 defense in the country. Uh, I mean, it's been uh, very good throughout the season. And, again, they were – uh, they were good enough against USC. I mean, USC got one late to, to make that game in doubt for Utah, but Utah had controlled it again and and helped stymie USC's offense, which has been stymied two weeks in a row or, or two out of three, whatever it was. But I think that Oregon will have just enough, but again, that's a road game too, and, and being at home is worth something. And, you know, I, I think that – I think that Oregon – is probably I know they lost to Washington 
as I've gone through the year, I personally would grade Oregon to be the best team in the Pac-12. And I know that they lost to Washington. But you watch that game, and I got the feeling that they disrupted Penix for a good portion of it. Oregon was going for it on fourth down at every opportunity. They never got it. If they get any of them, they win, whether at the end of the half or late in that game as they tried to keep from Washington getting the ball back. And that remember, that was at Washington, too. It's one thing for the road team to go win a close one, but when the road team loses a close one, it, to me, doesn't prove that the teams are how they finished in that game, if that makes sense. Um, if you if the home team and their even teams wins a very close game that they did not necessarily control most of, to me that feels like they had the benefit of winning because they were at home. So I'm really hoping that ends up being the Pac-12 championship game. And Washington be undefeated or one loss, whatever, doesn't matter. Uh, Oregon obviously needs to continue along with one loss. But I'm hoping that that is the Pac-12 title game because I have, an, I have a suspicion – that Oregon is a little bit more of a complete football team, that Washington riding the home crowd and getting just enough of panics got them the win. But I think you saw last week, like Washington was pretty underwhelming. In fact, very underwhelming. Penix was not awesome. Should, people should not be handing him the Heisman. He has not won it yet. He, leads, he might lead it. He has not won it yet. And I think that there is still opportunity to beat them. And, and by the way... Uh, other teams named Oregon, such as Oregon State, are, are not out of it either. So again, the Pac-12 still—it's it, a mess, but it's a—it's a much more positive mess. It's—it's kind of like a buffet of tasty things this year in terms of just five or six pretty darn good teams, and they're just—you're just trying to pick which one you like the most. Whereas in years past, it was just a mess where none of it looked good and they all were just a, a bunch of average teams and the top five or six teams none of them had a chance to go to the playoff this year it, it is looks the opposite of that but of course it is the last year the Pac-12 so they're going out with a bang uh, but yeah no I'm looking for that Oregon Utah game and again I think that's about the only one nationally unless there's an upset you know it's college football there is always have to be a couple upsets and we'll get into some of the potential upsets tomorrow. Uh, but again, on paper, only two ranked matchups. Duke-Louisville being the second. No playoff implications there. Oregon-Utah should be uh, the game of the week. All right, few minutes left in the show. So back to Auburn and Mississippi State. Again, Brooks and TP with their last show appearance of the week. Of course, tomorrow, myself and Cam Berry will be breaking it down for you. Go over a lot of things. Matchup-wise, okay, Again, we've still been trying to figure out the quarterback situation for Auburn, obviously, but still trying to figure out the best tandem of wide receivers. They've been going with more tight ends recently. Demario Austin should be available. I would imagine they would not just give him 15 carries immediately, but he'll be worked in. You've still had good moments this year from Batie. We'll see if Cobb is now kind of more of a, of a not playing factor, but uh, – Mississippi State's not a team, and I know Ole Miss agree wasn't, but Mississippi State's not a team that should out-talent Auburn. That's not really on the bingo card this weekend. Auburn has its issues talent-wise, and that's why it 
it's behind the team, the top teams of the league. But this is a team that's on par, if not still even above Mississippi State talent-wise. And it is a home game. So uh, what do you guys see happening on Saturday uh, and your confidence level that Auburn can look competent enough on offense to not get in its own, get in its own way and cost them another one? I think that you, you look at this this game on Saturday, I think a big thing is going to be does Will Rogers play? And, you know, I just literally went through the news. Six hours ago, article was posted that still said Will Rogers uncertain for Saturday. So, it you, you know, if Will Rogers plays, I think the, the Mississippi State offense can have a, a, a better shot of looking a little more cohesive than it did the last week with, uh, with Mike Wright. Um, if Mike Wright plays – Oh man, that that could get a uh, that that could get uh, that could get interesting between that Auburn defense and that Mississippi State offense. Uh, for the Tigers on offense, I think you got to lean more into that run game. I think you've got to you know go into it. The, the Mississippi State defense is is pretty good. You look at their uh, stats so far this year; they've only allowed an average of 239 passing yards and 127 rushing yards. Auburn is only averaging 151 passing yards and 186 rushing yards. Uh, per game and so this, this Auburn offense I, I think this weekend Auburn's offense doesn't it, it you're we're not going to come away from this game thinking oh the, the 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 season's turned that's it like we're upward trend now I think you're no matter what happens on Saturday I think you're going to come away from the the game still with a lot of questions on offense uh you're I think you're going to th- look at the defense and you're going to say yeah that looks like the Auburn defense that's been there this year they they played really well I think this game comes out to Auburn's offense does just enough and you know you've seen them put up uh, you know 20 24 points per game I think that's what all you're going to need to win this game really I, I think it's going to be a low scoring affair I, I think you're only going to need a, a, the low 20s to win and I think Auburn's offense can get there uh, I think you've got to give the ball to Jarquez Hunter I think you got to give the ball to uh, to Brian Petit you got to give the ball to Jeremiah Cobb you got to run that ball um, and you know, obviously, you you don't want to see the quarterbacks rotated as much as you have. It, it's just that that's gotten out of hand. You want to see them have a stick to one quarterback. I, I think that this weekend you look at uh, you you probably you know I think more often you would go with Peyton Thorne. I think you put put Robbie Ashford in for drives, not individual plays. If any of off- offensive staff is listening to this, which I hope they're not because I should be at practice right now, but not individual plays, but a drive. I want to see Robbie Ashford on a drive. I want to see him uh, execute the offense on a, on a full drive for him, uh, this one, because that's going to throw some some wrinkles into what the Mississippi State defense is looking at. Uh, but I, I think Auburn, I, I think you're, again, you're not going to feel great coming out of this one, but I think Auburn guts it out. But puts up a low twenty score and beats uh, beats Mississippi State uh, just uh, just just by the hair of their chinny chin chin as the three pigs say. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way of saying it. You're going to come away with this game, and you well, I don't know about the three little <laughs> pigs comment, but uh, <laughs> no, that Auburn fans will probably be like, eh, well, a win is a win. I can I can already hear it right now, Ryan Lavoy uh, at three p.m. on Monday Monday afternoon going well. That was a football game, but a win is a win. I have my final score prediction over here. I hinted at it earlier in the show, but I have the final score. Auburn 13, Mississippi State 7. I think it'll be a very defensive game. I think it'll be, to some, a very boring game. And uh, I don't think that's um, very surprising to think. I think... uh, I think if Will Rogers plays, it'll be totally different. I I would lean a little bit, you know, 
t- closer. I think maybe thirteen to ten. But I think uh, I think Auburn's defense is going to really show out. I think they're going to force some turnovers, and uh, I don't think I don't think Mississippi State's that good. But I think Auburn's defense is better than Mississippi State's defense. So I think they're going to force some takeaways, and I think I think that's what's going to set up Auburn such I think it's going to be a a pick or something like that, or maybe a fumble recovery, give a short field, and they can punch it in, and uh, two field goals right there. And I think the defense is going to stand strong. And I think on Monday we're going to look back and we're going to say, well, offense is still struggling, but man, man, do we have a good defense. So I think that's what's going to happen on Saturday. You know, I was going through it, and I have missed, I believe, four Monday shows. This that seems year. accurate. Uh, four Monday shows during football season. Uh, because of Bucks home games and was out of town in Birmingham another Monday. Those are the four games that Auburn lost. You're the problem. And guess what? <laughs> I'm gonna be here on Monday. So I have. I, I would again. That's that's not really great uh, analysis of why Auburn uh-huh. will win. <laughs> uh, uh, of course, pre-planned absences. So. Uh, I will be here Iron Bowl weekend, just throwing out that there. But uh, I, I think that when it boils down to it, if you get the semblance of home field advantage that you've been getting in the prior home games here, then I think you've got a great chance at it. Because the logic would say that Auburn playing Ole Miss and Georgia to one-possession games if they can kind of play with that same energy and same quality defensively, again, if Mike Wright starts and Auburn loses uh, on Monday, I, it's not going to go well. Uh, the, the show will not go well uh, because they they will have a golden opportunity to hold Mississippi State to like 10 points or less. And even if Rodgers plays, he might not be 100%. And it's still stoppable because Mississippi State has not – ran great offense even with Rodgers in there. So I, I'm not giving you the full prediction today because obviously I'll be here tomorrow, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that I think that either way, Auburn should A, be expecting to win, and B, should win uh, either quarterback. Now, obviously, the the chances go up if Rodgers does not play and the the sense of urgency goes up and that sort of thing, but – the, the good news is you would say, oh, well, you know, maybe would Auburn be tempted to let us guard down if Wright played instead of Rodgers? No, Auburn's in no position to do that. They're three and four. I don't think they're going to get overly confident playing anybody. I think the sense of urgency, urgency would still be there and the desire will still be there and the focus will still be there because, again, that's something that can evaporate a little bit. You get the backup quarterback in there. You're not as focused. Like, oh, you know, we just kind of expect to stop them and give our off- offense opportunities. No, I think that they – will be hungry, and again, those guys trying to pull together in the locker room. So I like the chances uh, with either quarterback, but especially if Mike Wright plays, I think that changes the dynamic quite a good bit. Final minute or two of the program today. Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide, presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks, what do we have? Boy, we do have sports on tonight, so no movie picks for you this evening. Start things off, you got the NFL game on Prime Video tonight. Uh, 720 bucks play the Bills. 
Uh, Ryan Lavoy is, uh, I don't know if he's said it on, on the show today, but he's been wearing a Bucks jersey all day. Yeah, I have not said it. But, uh, so uh, he's, he's partaking in Jersey Thursday, uh, but it is a, a Bucks jersey all day today. I'll, I'll let you also know a little secret. I also hope the Bucks win tonight because they're playing the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, elsewhere, uh, football for you. College football on tonight, 630 ESPN. you got Syracuse in Virginia Tech, ACC Thursday night between two very mid-programs. Uh, so tune into that. Then in Tell the, us how you really feel. Uh, <laughs> that, that is how I really feel. Then at 6.30 on ESPN2, it's the Sun Belt battle in the Peach State as Georgia State visits Georgia Southern down there at uh, Allen Paulson Stadium in Statesboro. 6.30 ESPNU, you got some HBCU football as South Carolina State visits North Carolina Central. Uh, NBA action for you tonight. The Philadelphia 76ers visit the Milwaukee Bucks. James Harden? Nope. Nope. Maybe nope, didn't, he did maybe, not make the trip. Maybe he's there. like you know circling around the stadium somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> Real, do, does anybody know where he is now? No, I'm sure really. he'll watch from a local gentleman's club. Uh, <laughs> Nine p.m. tonight, TNT. Uh, right after that, it's the Phoenix Suns visit the Crypt. That's what you like to call the the Crypto.com yeah, Arena, G- Los Angeles change Lakers. It back to Staples Center, <laughs> for the love of God, please. Uh, some volleyball for you tonight, FS1. Uh, Baylor visits Texas. Uh, then 9.30 on ESPNU, Loyola Marymount visits San Diego. Women's national team, U.S. women's national soccer team takes on Columbia tonight in a little friendly action. And then LPGA is over in Asia this week. They're at the Maybank Championship. That is on Golf Channel at 9 o'clock tonight. And that... It's your night TV guy brought to you by our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks. And again, as I've alluded to, you'll not be on the show tomorrow. You'll be on our coverage of Borgard High School football as they go up to Jemison, which is not exactly down the road from here. Nope. Uh, and so you will not be on the show, but we will hear you on Tiger 95.9 after sports call tomorrow. Again, appreciate you for being here today, and we look forward to hearing Borgard football tomorrow night. Absolutely. Talk to you then. And TP Hammock, thank you for being here today and uh, doing the coaches show last night. Hope you have a great weekend, sir. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, as always. That will do it for the show today. As always, we want to appreciate all those that called in and tuned in. For Brooks Childress and T.P. Hammock, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Thursday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.